Welcome to Buddha at the Gas Pump. My name is Rick Archer. Buddha at the Gas Pump is an ongoing series of interviews with spiritually awakening people. I've done hundreds of them now, and if this is new to you and you'd like to check out previous ones, please go to batgap.com and look under the past interviews menu. This program is made possible by the support of appreciative listeners and viewers. So if you appreciate it and would like to support it, even in a modest way, we really appreciate it and it enables us to put as much time into it as we do, which is a heck of a lot of time. My guest today is Ishtar, whose birth name is Thomas Howell. Ishtar was recommended to me by a couple of good friends, Sarah Taylor and Susanna Marie, both of whom have been on Batgap. And just based on my respect for them, I just um, decided to, you know, get to know Ishtar. And so he came to the Science and Non-Duality Conference, and we've had some good adventures there, and came down to Sedona here together. We're, oh, we're in Sedona, by the way, at the home of Nirmala and Gina Lake, bo- both of whom have also been on Batgap. And um, we're going to be taking some hikes and this and that. But I, I wanted to interview Ishtar. And um, getting to know him has been interesting. Uh, he is kind of a, what do they call those people who are really good at a lot of things? Not a polyglot, that's language. Polymath. Polymath. I call myself a dilettante. <laughs> well, he's a dil- somewhere between a dilettante and a polymath. <laughs> On the airplane, he gave me a detailed account of why and how the Roman Empire collapsed. And we talked about all the potential democratic candidates and, and the strengths and weaknesses of each one. He may we talk. I don't have such detailed information. He happens to be, at one point, a professional drummer. I was a semi-professional drummer myself, very semi. He's a gourmet chef, although he says he's out of practice on that. Probably a number of other things, which I would discover if I got to know him better. He has all these sort of relative interests and areas of expertise. And I say that, emphasize that he's definitely got a foot in the real world, the so-called real world. Because a lot of the stuff we're going to talk about today might seem like it all relates to some unreal world, (laughs) or a world which many people would consider merely imaginary. So I, I just want to sort of contrast that with the practical side of him and his life just so you realize he's just not a total woo-woo dude. <laughs> <laughs> he's very well integrated, I would say. Great sense of humor. We've been joking around about this, that, and the other thing. And anyway, you'll get to know him better as we have this conversation. So, regarding the woo-woo side of it, as you may know, if you've watched many of my interviews, I'm very open-minded about all possibilities nature of the universe. Just about anything anybody were to say to me, I would not necessarily believe it or disbelieve it. I would take it as a hypothesis, which had varying degrees of probability of being true. But some of the things which Ishtar will be talking about are way up on the scale of probably true, in my opinion. My understanding, and to some extent my experience of creation, of life, is that it is multidimensional. It's, there's much more to it than meets the eye. And some people have, and Jesus was always saying, if you have the eyes to see it or the ears to hear it, you know, that kind of statement, um, which implies that our assessment of the world is very much dependent upon our subjective ability to perceive and understand. That was a big revelation to me when I was about eight, 17 years old. I kind of thought the world was what it was, mm-hmm. and then I 
took LSD for the first time, <laughs> and realized that the world is vastly different for different people according to what, how they experience it. Went into a donut shop in the morning and, and I was kind of just amazed at how the donut selling ladies were probably perceiving the world as compared to how I was at that point. Um, and they had the advantage in terms of being able to function and sell donuts. <laughs> I don't think I would have been able to just then. <laughs> in any case, I'm getting a little bit long-winded here. There are many subtle realms. That's what I'm alluding to here. And there are phenomena that take place in these subtle realms that are happening all around us, in our midst, that the vast majority of us are oblivious to. And certain people, Ishtar being one, have been tuned in to these subtle realms, at least some portions of them, ever since childhood, really. His life has been a, an interesting adventure of functioning on these levels, these subtler levels, as well as functioning on uh, mundane, practical mm -hmm. levels. And it continues to be such to this day. So I'm thinking that in this interview, we'll kind of take a chronological, biographical approach, which we don't always do with interviews. Sometimes I don't talk much about the person's life. We just plunge in and talk about their ideas or their awakening or whatever. But in your case, your life has been so interesting. And um, from infancy, practically, mm -hmm. things you remember and things you did, that I think it would be fascinating to people to hear it in some detail. Mm. So um, let's start as early as you would like to start with... Um, any, anything that, you know, began to happen to you as a young child, which perhaps wasn't happening to other kids your age. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sure, yeah. And, and I, of course, I really had no idea until much later that that was the case, that, that other people were having different experiences, and I, I didn't particularly... Yeah, a lot of people say that. They say, I thought everybody saw angels, and then I started talking <laughs> about school, and they thought I was crazy or something. Yeah, you, you yeah. basically accept the world that you come into. You don't yeah. question it a whole lot. And, yeah. And uh, but I, for one, I think the early memories. Uh, I, I didn't uh, know that that was odd until maybe my AP Psychology course in in high school. Early memories being being able to remember being able to remember stuff things. That stuff when you were, yeah, that, yeah, yeah, you ought not to remember. I, right. I, um, I had a lot of spiritual experiences early on. Uh, experiences of samadhi that I, you know, obviously I didn't have any words. I didn't have any words yet for any of this. I, I would just sit in my crib and be sensing that I was in this vast presence. And I, I loved my mornings. I would get up well before uh, my parents would, before the sun would come out, and I would just sit in my crib and, and just chill out. And, and I would, sometimes I would watch my curtains, but they weren't just curtains for me. They had this, they were, they were like a sort of a dancing emanation of this, this subtle thing that I that I felt connected to mm -hmm. and and it was just very pleasurable there there were these be these waves of of joy and and pleasure and, and appreciation when I would sort of play with this this kind of awareness as I might call it now then there were all sorts of other kind of experiences that happened in the, the little realm of the crib uh, I would uh, I think probably I probably met my, my, my great-grandmother who was deceased. Uh, you know, I, I, all, of course, with all of this stuff, I was taught that it was, that I, that I, having an imagination was good. So as a kid, I just, I just put everything in the, the, the large folder of imagination, and I think that sort of allowed me to kind of keep those perceptions and not repress them, as I think many, many children learn to repress them. They're quite sensitive to 
what their what their parents say even offhandedly. Yeah. And I was sitting in my crib, and this lady I came through the doorway, and that was normal enough. And she, at first, I thought, you know, grandma, you know, but she was shorter than grandma. She had similar curly uh, white hair, and she had a, a blue nightgown and, and a white lace collar, and she just sort of walked by my crib, and I was just watching her, and she, she didn't look at me, but I, I felt that she kind of was reaching out to me in a certain sense, and I just wasn't afraid at all, and I just watched her, kept watching, and then she, um, she did something rather unexpected, which was she, she walked through the, um, the, the wall of my bedroom, and that, <laughs> that got me quite excited. I was like, whoa! You know, like, <laughs> I want to learn to do that. Yeah, when I, when I can get out of this crib <laughs> and walk, that. I'm going to do that. You know, that, was, that was the plan. You yeah. know? That, was, that was what was going to happen. And you know, a few years later, it uh, must have been you know, three or, or something like that, I was sitting on my mother's lap, and we were going through a family picture album. We turned the page, and there was this lady in a blue nightgown with a white lace collar with curly hair mm. at the same face yeah. and I was like ah you know like yeah. yeah yeah and then she's like oh that's your great grandmother she would have really loved you oh I so she would, she died long before you were born she died a year before I was born oh, a year okay. yeah we missed each other by about a, a yeah. 18 months I'd say mm -hmm. yeah yeah so neat yeah and that was one of the maybe kind of wanted to be a mystic in some in some way she wanted to go into the mystical but she didn't quite really dive into it she so. did in her life in her life yeah and yeah. in, in some ways I, I felt a little bit like like in the at least in the family dynamic that I was kind of picking up in the family somebody somebody else's work and, and she was one of them huh, so cool yeah yeah all right what's another experience <laughs> Well, uh, we talked. We we talked about these all before, so I'll have to. Well, yeah, but these people haven't these seen it, so you just yeah. pretend you pretend you've <laughs> never talked to me about. Yeah, this stuff. of course. Uh, well, I I used to have um, a lot of beings sort of walk into my room uh, as a kid. Uh, you know, later I would kind of throw the label ghosts onto them or discarnate beings. I think there were various types of of beings. There were maybe discarnate spirits. There were beings that were a little bit more what we might call angelic. You know, they, had a, they had a brighter light about them, and they would kind of come and, and descend and visit. But the, the spirits were, the, I think, the most frequent visitor as a child. And, you know, I wasn't wholly comfortable with it, so I had to sort of do things um, that would to kind of protect my psyche. I, I didn't want to, like, overload in my nervous system. And so I, I had, a, at age six, for instance, I had a a really deep interest in uh, Jeremy Brett's Sherlock Holmes. That, that's the series from the 80s. And I was just, just obsessed with Sherlock Holmes for a while. And, and it happened that my mother was, was a big, also a big lover of Sherlock Holmes. And, and years before, when she was in England, she'd bought a proper deerstalker hat and a costume. And so, pipe. you know, a pipe. I had, had a pipe. And, yeah. and so uh, I, I figured, okay, I, I, I want to be like Sherlock Holmes, except be maybe kind of psychic and, and maybe like a Jedi, too. And so... Mm. And, and, I, and I'll sort of deal with these spirits as if I'm working on their case, right. you know. And so I would, you know, dress up as Sherlock Holmes. I turned my room into a sort of like as close as I could make it to sort of a Victorian consulting detective's office. <laughs> you know, I had to use a lot of imagination there. But I would sit down, and then I would have have this being that came and sit down. I would close my eyes. I would go into this vast spaciousness, which I knew, and then somehow I would instinctively projected into the room and put it right where the uh in front of the discarnate being and when i would open my eyes the room would feel spotlessly clean mm -hmm. and and there would be this sort of sense of upliftment 
in the air, and there would be no more no more spirit. And this kind of went on for for a while. Like you helped them transition. Yeah, that, that that's that was the idea. That's what I was wanting to do. Was it kind of like the sixth sense where they knew you could see them, and so they came around more than they would come around to any, another person? I would say that, and and thankfully, I, I it wasn't so scary as that movie. You know, nobody was yeah. uh, grabbing nobody my had leg their under head a blown bed. off or anything. Nobody yeah. had their head blown off. Nobody was vomiting <laughs> green stuff on me or right. <laughs> any, anything like that. It, it wasn't so so graphic and scary. And even there, there was I I kind of was wanting to avoid that in a certain sense. So I I would do all sorts of things to try to create parameters about who would come in. Um, sometimes there were a couple occasions where I would sort of commandeer or request, strongly request, um, a spirit to sort of, okay, if you don't want to transition, watch the door. Yeah. You know, watch the door, and if you can, make sure that only one comes at a time. Yeah, there was and one particular guy that you assigned to that task. That's right. That's yeah. right. They were the longest uh, uh, serving uh, yeah. in, the, in that function. Uh-huh. How did you actually communicate with these beings i mean were you was it in english was it in just telepathy without any language or or what it was both but it was primarily kind of telepathy without any language yeah, it was often in pictures and uh-huh. sort of geometric kind of but somehow it would forms. In, encapsulate the message yeah yeah i yeah. mean I, I i don't think i was a particularly good medium like, like some people maybe I, I you know kind of broad strokes maybe not the fine stuff so it was mainly the Almost a binary. It, was, it would break down to like want to transition, don't want to transition. You know, like yeah. you know, like that. That Some was of them didn't want to. No, yeah, you could tell they didn't want they to. to hang so around. yeah, yeah. And then like, did you tell any of your friends or your parents about what you were doing? Oh, no, not all. Totally that. a private thing. It w- mainly private. Mainly mm-hmm. private. Sometimes I think I mentioned it, and and I w- it would kind of be like, oh, what a wonderful imagination. It's yeah, like, right. All right, right. okay, <laughs> thank you. Yeah, you know, yeah. yeah. And so this, how many years did this go on? Well, let's see. It was particularly strong at age three, uh, well, two. I mean, mm-hmm. actually, it was probably stronger than I thought it was before that, but three, four, five, six, seven. And then at about age seven and eight, my sensitivity started to become less consistent. I would still feel, feel the things going on, and, and I think they could sense that I was feeling what was happening. Yeah. But... I, I was, you know, I was growing up like people do. I was developing the, the ego structure. Mm-hmm. I was falling asleep. And, and I would say, like, I would even was kind of conscious of that. I would say, like, you know, hey, you know, I'm, you can tell I'm getting worse here at this. So, yeah. like, I don't know if I'm going to be of a particular help, and I would rather like to sleep tonight because this, this gets a little bit nervy for me. Yeah. Uh, you know, feeling you over there. Huh. So, please go. So, you mean they would keep you awake in the past? Yeah. Well, yeah, my, my nervous system would, would kind of just feel. Kind yeah, of be kind of keyed up from it. Keyed up and agitated, yeah. and, and it wasn't comfortable to have huh. the the hair on my neck be standing up <laughs> at all you know, at yeah. all hours, and then having you know, like the sense of sort of like I don't know, thought forms coming, you know, coming into my like emotional body. I would just feel different yeah. things. I'm like this feeling. I don't think this was produced by this life. You know, like this yeah, is this is somebody else here. That does not feel like my yeah. story. Yeah. Okay. So it sounds like it was kind of good that it shut down finally. Uh, yeah. 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 It would, it would. It would reappear whenever you know there were periods when I would be more in the presence. Yeah. There, it would just happen that I would be more in the presence, and you know the the clouds would lift mm-hmm. for for periods, and then the sensitivity would would come back. I was like, okay, it's the price you have to pay because right. when I would be more in the presence, life would move 
much nicer. Yeah. Yeah. And so when it shut down, I guess you, you told me, you told that door guard guy that, uh, okay, you, your, your time is up. We're, we don't need you to do this anymore. And he, he stayed on. He, poignant. He, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, he actually stayed on through up until age 17. I still oh, had enough I activity I see. after eight that I kind of wanted somebody to sort of minimize it. Yeah. Because uh, the activity I did get, I, I was, you know, um, worse at dealing with. Yeah. And, and things really sort of shut down when I made a sort of a very big shift in my life when when I decided I'm going to jump into the, the spiritual path in a very committed way. I'm yeah. going to throw my all the throw my hat into this ring fully <laughs> and I, I basically uh, you know got rid of most of my possessions mm -hmm. and turned my room into a little ashram and then three mornings in a row together I had sort of visitations yeah. uh, when, when I was waking up from from three different spirits and, and each each one of those visitations was kind of like like a goodbye. Mm -hmm. I, it was it, and it played out in the same way. I'd be waking up and I would when I, as soon as my eyes would open, I, I would see a, a particular being walking towards me. The first um, the first one was was a, I think he was Mexican and he had a he had a, like a shirt that looked like it was from the 50s or the 70s, some sort of garish colors that they liked in those two decades, the, the certain red and a certain green and, and yellow or something like that. And he was, he was quite friendly and, and, you know, there was a sense of like a heart connection. It's like something hit my heart and was like, thank you. We've, we've enjoyed being here with you and, and we're going to go now, you know, nice. we're, 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 we're going. And then the second one was a rather stern lady who I'd seen before and <laughs> she would freak me out sometimes because she, she just had a permanent um, frown scowl. on, a scowl. And she was one of those where I, 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 after a while, I kind of got used to, you know, oh, she has a scowl, but she means well. You yeah. know, I, I, could, I could get below that. It's like, okay, yeah. instant freak out, but she means well. And she, had a, she was kind of dressed in what looked like Edwardian wear and had a very tight Kind of like color. the old um, aunt in Pride and Prejudice. You know, she turned out in the, in the end to be a good uh, aunt. Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and so she <laughs> left, and then, and then the third one who, who, who came to me in a much different fashion, those two, I think, were discarnates who might have been bound to the house in some way or the property, or somehow found their way there. And the, and the third one was, was, was a fellow who, I don't know if I ought to call him a demon or just someone who was particularly troubled, but when I met him, he was quite dark feeling. And, mm -hmm. and thankfully, I'd had a previous experience where, where a similar sort of entity had appeared in my room and kind of terrified me. And then uh, a voice from my heart kind of came up and said, just open to love, you know, just, just open to love. And that seemed the best option at the time. And so... That's what I did, and that ran away, and and so after that, I knew how to deal with these beings, and this being came to me, and I kind of just, off the top of my head, said, like, "Hey, you know, like, yeah. Uh, ah, yeah, I know you're, I know you're ilk, and uh, <laughs> guess what? Here's what you're gonna do. You're gonna watch that door for me, and you're gonna do a job." He became your door guard. He yeah. became my door guard. Did a yeah. damn good job at it. <laughs> that place was really clean. I mean, I, th I think a demon is, pro or I don't know what he was, but yeah. uh, it felt like a he yeah. uh, was was probably a pretty good door guard. Yeah, he said it had a. Certain intimidation factor. I, I, I had myself my own tough, you know. So, so I and so that that Bouncer. thing came to me, and and they they had been they kind of it was when they first came to me they were like an undifferentiated mass, uh -huh. and I could see no features. I could feel a bunch of stuff, but when they left that, that it was as if they had been taking a shower for eight years. Yeah, and so you could see streaks of of other beingness coming through, and and mm. that was that was an especially sort of heartfelt. So goodbye. it was a real evolutionary time for them. I'm taking it to be so because they were, they they sent they they told me thank you and they said it, just the same as the other. It was been really wonderful doing this and and guess what I'm going on to, 
you know, something much better. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'll see you later. You, you know, you won't, you don't need us anymore because once you turn this place into an ashram, you know, different, a whole different sort of set of possibilities, you know, sort of, you know, came into being and, you know, mm -hmm. you won't be bothered anymore. That's um, great. That's anyone. interesting. Okay. I just want to interject that I think the relevance of this to the whole bat gap theme, <laughs> which is spiritually awakening people and the whole topic of spiritual awakening and spirituality and what's real and what isn't and all that, is that you know most people, myself included and many others, most others, are not going to have experiences like this. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. It's not at all necessary. No one should get the idea that you know if they don't have experiences like this, they're missing the boat or they're not as enlightened as somebody who is having experiences like this or any such thing. But there's a certain segment of the, quote, the spiritual population, so to mm -hmm. speak, who do have experiences like this. I don't think it's helpful for them to just sort of brush it aside and say, oh, it's just an illusion or, you know, oh, you're, you have an overactive imagination, as people say. I mean, whatever people's experience, they should be met with respect and not necessarily complete credulity. We don't have to... I mean, some people do have vivid imaginations yes, and, yes. and you don't necessarily want to indulge in that. But, you know, many, many sincere people might be having such experiences and I've talked to some and they were kind of freaked out by it. I mean, Jack O'Keefe, when she first got into spirituality, she was sitting in a pub in, in Dublin having a beer with friends had no kind of spiritual background or anything. And all of a sudden, she kind of shifted into astral perception. She saw those, all these spooks in the room. Yeah. And she, as I recall, she ran outside the pub and was like leaning against the wall. Oh, my God, what just happened? One funny yeah. thing is actually at about age seven, I was having these experiences, but I sort of became a, a philosophical atheist. Uh -huh. And so that was weird. Kind because clash of... The worldviews. Well, yeah, I, I, I thought, yeah, scientific materialism. That makes sense, you know. Uh -huh. That's that's. Uh, but at the same time, I was having all these things, and so I'm like, okay, you know, all right. It's funny that you, you know. would shift into that philosophy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because obviously your whole life had been about the fact that there's more than materiality to the world. In my case, it was rather a fad. Was it a rebellion against the, <laughs> all the the subtle stuff? I you'd think been experiencing? It, I think it was a rebellion. Actually, it was more to do with my my upbringing, and it was a rebellion against the you know, what I was learning in history about the history of religions. And this is at the age of seven or eight. I mean, when I was eight years old, scientific materialism, atheism, all this stuff would have been way over my head. And, and you know, I was just thinking about whatever when I was eight years old, going fishing and riding my bicycle and yeah. playing baseball in the neighborhood and not particularly liking school or thinking about anything very deeply. So it's kind of cool that you were mature enough to be thinking deep thoughts at that age. Yeah, I think we kind of hit the ground running in a certain sense. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think I was, I was always very enthusiastic to, to be born and alive and always had a, yeah. had a sense of a real wind at, the, at my back and I wanted to run as fast as I could to sort of keep up with it. That's pretty neat. I mean, it's worth mentioning that people do come into this life at different levels of evolution with different degrees of spiritual momentum. Mm. And um, if, it's, if, if there has been a very strong momentum established in a previous life, one can just sort of hit the ground running, as you said. You know, that there, uh, like there's an example of a statement that can, you don't need to believe this, um, certainly don't believe it because I said it, but, but take it as an interesting hypothesis. You know, you can unwind it. All right, yeah. All right you know, is there such a thing as spiritual momentum? Are there such things as past lives? Mm -hmm. Do we 
carry lessons learned and inclinations reinforced from one life to another. And interesting yeah. to think about this stuff. Yeah, yeah and I, I always, once I you know, heard about those concepts, I think I came across reincarnation maybe at age seven from one of those Time Life book series or something mm-hmm. like that. That w- it had a deep resonance because I had been thinking about why do I have all these, you know, why am I obsessed with Abraham Lincoln, for instance, or, or you know, these moments in history. And, and then later on, I, looking back at my life, I had a lot of experiences of going, just going into the silence, mm-hmm. you know, just not doing anything to do it particularly. It would close my eyes, and uh, even later, between eight and thirteen, which was kind of an ego development time, if if I got in a real pinch, I would just instinctively sit down, close my eyes, and somehow my awareness would would my mind would quiet and go into this big vastness, hmm. and and that was you know if I was really frazzled, that's what I would do, so I could come out of that and then just kind of you know go about in a more coherent yeah. kind of manner. That is so cool. I mean, it's like you intuitively knew what to do. Yeah, and obviously, yeah. kind of seems like you probably had had that habit in yeah in the past. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so I think something must have been there, and you know, silly little trivial things like I, I loved um, as many people of my generation did the uh, Ghostbusters cartoon, and I would mm-hmm. get up early in the morning to to watch it before the rest of my family, and mm-hmm. and and one day I was watching it and. One of the characters, they were they were trying to find something, and one of the characters decided to sit down and 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 said the line like, "I know, if you just stay in one place, the whole world will come to you." And when I heard that line, it was just like a, I was immediately immediately sent back into this sense of vastness, and my awareness was was everywhere, and it rung like a bell like that for the rest of the day. And there was uh, another time I was at a like a youth camp type thing, and they have you climb ropes and. You know, do team building exercises. Try to trust people that you shouldn't, you know, ever trust with your life. And I was doing this thing called the Jacob's Ladder, and something deep inside me, when I was doing it, clicked on somehow, like how to do it properly. And and it just told me relax completely, let go, go into the silence. And and so I did, and I ended up climbing it upside down, which which was not the way you're supposed to do it, but that was the only effective way to to do it. It turns out, and and something about that experience sent me into this quiet and and that you know again so i had these little moments um throughout my childhood that that were just kind of reminding me and yeah. pushing me in that direction i i just didn't kind of put them at the center in the at the central context of my life uh, and until you know a couple years later hmm. you know the whole story of the bhagavad gita is arjuna this great warrior is is about to fight a battle and unfortunately the armies were arranged such that he had some dear relatives and respected elders in the opposing army. And so he had this moral dilemma. And on the one hand, it was his duty to fight this battle. On the other hand, he didn't have the heart to to fight these people. And so he was kind of in a quandary, and he he just just sat down in his chariot and said, I don't know what to do. And Lord Krishna, in a nutshell, after saying many other things, basically said, you know, transcend. Yeah. Be without the three gunas, Nistrajunya yeah. Bhavarjun. And uh, so it's like the solutions to in, intractable or insoluble relative problems can often be found by taking recourse to the absolute. And it's not like you get down there and say, oh, here's a solution, X, Y, Z. Right, right. It's more that you sort of reach a more resolute or fundamental mm-hmm. per, level of uh, functioning That's or right. awareness. And from there, 
spontaneously the right course of action will ensue. Yeah, absolutely. I just wanted to ask you a little bit more about the scientific materialism phase. So did you have it sort of <laughs> yeah. worked out with the logic of it and everything? Yes. And you were having little arguments with your friends? And Well, I kind of found out that not everybody was keen on going through the logical points. Yeah, a bunch and, of eight-year-old kids. <laughs> and, and, boring, and, and neither was I. I don't think I was particularly had much tact or I needed to develop yeah, more tact. Yeah, kind of in I, your face with it. I think, yeah, too much. And, and I wasn't diplomatic enough. Yeah. And I, I just... So yeah, that, that trouble ensued from, from that, so I had to learn how to take the gas pedal off of that one. And then mm. I, for me, it was kind of a phase because I, I, I started looking at some of these phenomena in my life and elsewhere that, that I found interesting, and they seemed to be poking holes in, in, the, in, the, in the paradigm, as yeah. it were. So. Yeah, that's one of my favorite topics, is the, the paradigm of scientific materialism and how it dominates our society yeah. and how it's, been, it's resulted in so many problems in the yeah. world um, because of our regarding the world as dumb, insensitive, in, in, insensate, um, you know, matter, matter. Yeah. whereas really the whole thing is imbued with life and imbued with our, the self, you know, yeah. it's, it's us. But yet we put it at arm's length and treat it as dumb stuff. We that look at it as a, a resource that we can yeah, use. Yeah, we can do anything with, and yeah. we're soiling our own nest, you know, to say the least. And so, you know, Consequently, I mean, if, if that is the problem, the solution is to regard consciousness as primary and as being fundamental and universal and all-pervading and all that stuff, but that's a whole other discussion. That, yeah, anyway. that, that was the answer that was pointing me toward, and once yeah. I kind of, once the probabilities were kind of stacking on that side, on mm -hmm. that answer, then, then my great interest started to be like, well, if that's true, then, you know, like... How do I experience that? Yeah. How do I experience that all the time? I didn't, wasn't even thinking about my prior experiences as that. Right. They, they were not crossing. Didn't put two and two together. I did not put two and two together. Because right. I, I, I kind of thought that maybe it wasn't all that possible mm -hmm. in my life. I'm, I'm from Wisconsin, after all. Mm -hmm. So, you know, like, what are you going to do? Yeah, cheese head. Uh, yeah, cheese head. I, I owned one. They're actually quite, quite useful, but yeah. Um, yeah. in their own way. Mm -hmm. But, uh, yeah, that, that you know, started more and more to become a, a big interest. And then it, it became a primary interest after after I had a, a near-death experience. Yeah. And that was, Would that be the next significant point in the yes, story? Yes, yeah. That, that's right. that's really talk the, about that? That's kind of the, the fulcrum on, on which my, my life moved. But, um, yeah, that was sort of, uh, in my life, the, the great wound and, and, in many ways, the great blessing, just together, as they so often are. Mm. And um, it, it involved the, the death of my mother, and, and we, were in a, we were in a car accident together. Yeah. And, and it was kind of made a little bit... Um, more interesting, to use that word, it was made more interesting by the fact that the, the, the day before it actually broken my arm playing baseball, I got hit by a really, real zinger of a fastball, and that was, that was my big complaint, like, oh, I'm going to miss baseball season, yeah. you know, and we were standing there in my room just talking to each other, my mother and I, before I went to bed, and uh, like it had happened so many times in, in my life, I would get these precognitive flashes, they had a certain you know, flavor or quality about them that I could recognize and only this one um, the words came out of my mouth and it was mom I, I'm I, I have a feeling you're gonna die soon uh -huh. and and when it came out of my mouth really unedited it, it it hit her you know something was was powerful in it and then she kind of wiped that off and said like I'm, I'm gonna be around you know rest assured you know I, I will be here for you for a long time to come and I thought ah oh, mm. okay that's good yes yeah. you know and then I you know my, my fears were allayed and I and I went to bed but they came back because 
The next morning, I, I woke with quite a start, like they, like they do in the movies or the cartoons. Yeah. Boing. Boom, like that, just like that, <laughs> and like gasping, like, ah, ah, like I was running, you know, uh -huh. and, and it was at the moment that my mother and father were walking right outside my bedroom door, which I like, I like to sleep with it open. Because you're afraid of ghosts. Yeah. I, li I, like, I like to have a good escape path. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Better, better to have it open and have the, the tough there than, than yeah. have it closed, I, for whatever reason. So they were walking past, and somehow there, there was a clerestory window up there, and some sunshine was, was hitting them, and that was kind of a mystical moment. But mm. I was uh, distraught. I was like, there's something I have to tell you. You know, there's something yes, I have to... You said that to them? Yes, uh -huh. yes. I, I said, there's something I've got to tell you to. There's something I've got to tell you, but... I don't know what it is, and I was huh. so frustrated. I was so, so distraught by that. It, it, they had to calm me down so that I could go to school, and I had to, it took me about 20, 20 minutes to collect myself wow. and to get my breath down. Mm -hmm. And, and it was, it, I felt as if I had just been like the guy at Marathon running, yeah. and only the, the scroll fell out of my pocket somewhere along the way, and, and, and it felt, felt like that. And... So they called me down, and I went off to school, and you know, did the did the school thing, and and came back home. My, did you have a cast on your arm by this time? No, we were actually <laughs> that day we were going to, to the it. same hospital where we ended up uh -huh. to put a cast on my I see, arm. I see. Yeah. So I just had a sling on. Yeah. And so I went to school and came back home, and we dropped my sister off at her work, and we were driving out to, to make a left turn across a divided highway, four lane divided highway. And, you know, it was one of those situations where you had two cars going 45 and the car that hit us um, was kind of totally obscured by them. But if they were going the speed limit, they wouldn't have hit us. But instead, they were going 20 miles over or they decided to accelerate at just that time. Mm. And we pulled out. And I, I think actually, funnily enough, my, my mother was asking me to put the Luther Vandross tape. And I was like, no more Luther Vandross. <laughs> she loved Luther Vandross. Yeah. And I, I was, you know, looking over to get it, and I looked to my left, and about, I don't know, six feet from where my body is right now was this big Lincoln town car or Continental or something like that right outside the door, right going, outside my mother's door. 60 miles door, an hour. You know, just really booking it. Yeah. And, you know, in that moment, I, it was, to me, it was pretty clear, like, the jig was up. Yeah. You know, I was like, oh, <laughs> you know, mm. shit. I hope I can swear on the show. Yeah, occasionally. That was the, the first thought I think anybody would have that. And yeah. then the next, instead of kind of clenching up, I, I completely relaxed. Mm -hmm. And the next thought was kind of from this deeper sort of play, strata. And it was like, I really thought this one was going to go more than 13 years. Yeah. You know, and, and, and at that point, the whole sort of what I'd read about and was interested in, the whole kind of... Um, life flashing before one's eyes thing happened. And, yeah. and only in this case, it was a little bit richer than the descriptions I had read previously in that when, when we went through each, it was a seamless whole, not just a bunch of little fragments, but almost like taking a string and, and pulling it back and experiencing mm -hmm. each part of the string and, in complete detail. Mm. And there was, as it, was, it was as if I was connected with this sort of completely objective or omniscient part of my consciousness mm -hmm. uh, I, I had you know had dances with that part before but I would often kind of be like shut up <laughs> you know like yeah. I'm going to do it my way and you know kind of go away you know and but only there I completely embraced it and was fe I felt completely embraced by it and every every place where there was um, tension every place where I was holding a grudge every every moment where I, I acted in fear or I acted out of spite or anything other than love 
was just sort of seen completely and then forgiven and totally accepted myself and everybody out there, everything. And so obviously this happened in, in a split second, but if it had played out in real time, so to speak, it might have been hours to yeah. go all the information you went through? God knows, yeah. yeah. yeah it was, it was hyper-condensed. Yeah. I mean, it must not have been. I don't even know if it was a second between when I saw the car and it was Probably not. That's probably, not. It was that, probably just a fraction. Exactly. And, and so that was, it was all there, and it was a very palpable and visceral sensation, too. Yeah. It, it felt as if, really actually felt as if I had this, my whole life I'd had this sort of like saran wrap, you know, constrictive saran wrap on top of me, and with each sort of forgiving and, and release and, and appreciation of the love that was kind of running the show the whole time in, in my life, there, there was this sense of it coming down off of my body. Huh. And, and by the end, I was, I was just completely weightless. I, was, I had no fear. You know, and, and even visually, um, I, I even remember uh, the, the dashboard of our you know, che Chevrolet and the, my mother's shoulder and you know, all the details of the scene, the clouds that were in the background, the, the face of the other driver. He was he, right like, he didn't notice you know, oh, really? like, until it was really late. He was, yeah. he, he, he was, just, he was distracted. I think he way. was probably drunk. But yeah. um, um, the, the car, every, everything turned, everything seemed to almost reveal that it had this kind of like underlying light mm -hmm. underneath it. And, and there was a sense in my heart that everything was love. And my presence went from a little localized 13-year-old body to just being everywhere. Mm. There was a sense that I was everywhere and I was the whole scene and I was the whole, the whole thing that was happening. And then boom. The crash. The crash, yeah, mm. yeah. It was quite a crash and we were pushed uh, a long way and the car was totaled. Yeah. And you know, and um, I woke up, came to with the sound of the, the seat belt dinging going off and my mother kind of labored breath and the, they got out the, the giant skill saws, jaws of life jaws or whatever, life, and they were yeah. cutting things out and they were, they were really good. They, they got that door off quickly and, you know, kind of very professionally pulled me out of the car and, you know, was, were really concerned that I had spinal injuries and yeah. stuff like that and got us on the gurney, got us in the ambulance and, and the whole, I was, I was certainly concussed. Yeah. And, and I didn't know what my name was and didn't know a lot of those mm -hmm. details, but I could say, that's my mom. I don't know anything, but that's my mom. Yeah. That. So I had that. And they, they put us in the car, in the ambulance, and, and I had one of those kind of experiences that I, a lot of people seem to report, where I, I had both uh, the awareness of being on the gurney and being strapped down, and also this awareness of still of being everywhere. And my mother called my name twice, and two times I said, I'm okay, Mom. And the second time she registered it, and it was, it was as if when she was saying those words, those words were happening within my own consciousness and I could feel her as the same as my own consciousness fundamentally mm -hmm. and and I could feel it when she registered it and and I felt her just go yeah. and I felt her leave and and after she did that her breathing went from this really sort of labored breathing to this really even mm -hmm. you know relaxed kind of breath kind of just winding down and there I didn't put two and two together you know I, I didn't know that that was her you know, maybe, maybe leaving, yeah. and you know, then they got into the hospital, and then you know, heard oh from my my father, you know, your 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 mother's gone, and yeah. that, those of course that hit like a yeah. like a you know like a punch to the gut, the biggest one I've ever had, 
and um, you know tears and all that sure. falling apart on the hospital floor and you know maybe being hugged by the Lutheran social services people that didn't want to be hugged from but I knew they meant well yeah. and and you know going home and and you know I still had that big sense of presence my brain was coming online again I was like oh this is shock you know this is shock mm-hmm. and um, and then uh, you know kind of you know life life kind of kept going and all the things that happen when when uh, you know somebody dies so sudden like that where their family gathered and, and all of that and, and you know you're going through Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's stages you know like like clockwork and it just happened that over that summer while I was going through all of that um, all of that grief I also had the sense of, of this presence that was there that was weird to me. First, I thought it was shock, but then when it was after a couple months, it, I started thinking this is something else. And when I would, I could go into it as if it was a vast dimension. Hmm. And when I would do that and kind of put my awareness intentionally there, you know, all sorts of joy would bubble up yeah. and, and like bliss would come out. Like, Whoa, what's why, yeah. why am I feeling joy and bliss when I am so, you know, otherwise at the same time so distraught and so, huh. so, you know, so much in the process of grieving. And now you had uh, had the experience before of presence and being able to go into it and various things had evoked that, but this is different somehow? Well, it felt, it felt in some ways deeper. It felt more raw. Mm. Uh, it felt more fundamental. And again, I was, I was, I was kind of silly for, for whatever reason. I wasn't putting, I wasn't categorizing them together. Yeah. Uh, I think a lot of my, I knew what I was doing when I was young and I knew that it was a sp- particular dimension, mm-hmm. but it, it had a different flavor. Hmm. Um, it seems that when I was 13 than when I was you know, three or five or, or six, and I, and I think at 13 I'd also fallen asleep enough yeah. um, in grade school. You know, I, was, you know, there were, I was trying to be a good intellectual you yeah. know, and, and you know, become really as heady as I could be because that seemed like how to be in this world. Right. You know, like you, you'd just be in, you know, a walking intellect. Yeah. And, and, and so you, you can fall asleep really fast when you try to do that. You know? And and so I think I'd I'd gotten enough. Uh, I've distracted myself enough from those things that when this came, it was a big, yeah, kind of a wake up call. And uh, what do you think were the mechanics of how this accident and this trauma um, kind of kick started you into a, a different, more spiritual phase of your life? Was it like a sudden burning off of a big chunk of karma, or was it some kind of shock to the subtle body that that sort of unleashed energies that had been trapped and dormant or what i well one um i felt it was almost like a almost like a prearranged wake-up call i mean it it felt so it had a feeling of being prearranged uh with the with the my becoming prescient of it beforehand it had this flavor of of oh this is in the script you know according to rob schwartz whom i interviewed a month or so ago who studies how we plan out our life before we enter into it any major event like that is prearranged, according to him. Yeah, yeah, and I've, I've read a lot of the, the, the literature in, in yeah. his field, and, and, and so I think a lot of it, uh, there are so many accounts uh, similar that it, that it seems to shake out that way. Yeah. And it, it definitely felt, it had that feeling of this is, in the, this is in the script. And I think if I didn't have that happen, I could have lived a, a really relatively happy life and had a lot of these things on the back burner. And... And, you know, losing my mother um, not only tuned me into those dimensions again, but it, again, the wound blessing thing, it left me with this hunger, yeah. a real hunger, because it was a big loss. And I was really hungry to kind of fill that hole. 
And so with those things together, there was kind of a desire and direction, you know, to get back to that. And when that sort of sense of presence faded out, kind of faded out over the summer until I went back to eighth grade and attempted to be a teenager again, Mm -hmm. when that faded out, uh, kind of after my eighth grade year, of, which was in some ways kind of miserable, yeah. um, I, was, I, I kind of had a, the wherewithal after school was over to go like, well, geez, I got to get back to that. You know, like, what was that exactly? I, I've got to get back to it. I'm going to just try anything to, to do it. Mm-hmm. And, and so that over, over the next few years of, of kind of maybe wholeheartedly experimenting maybe half of my time. Yeah. Um, Eventually, that led me to to the practice of meditation and and to you know deciding to throw all in in that camp because I was still trying to be a normal person right. whatever that was and I thought I, I did want to please my family still you know mm-hmm. I, that, that was still there I wanted I didn't want to um, you know I, I wanted to do some of the things that I used to want to do I, and I yeah. thought like that's what I used to want to do I mean isn't that what I'm what I ought to be doing <laughs> like and and so it was kind of a transition process. There was kind of a crazy monk in me, which yeah. that's what I called it. Oh, there's a crazy monk in there. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I don't think we should do that because mm-hmm. if we do that if, if I open that, if I open up to that, I have to go 100%. Yeah. You know, that was the sense. And that's why I was a little bit like, I got to do things 100% and, if, and, and everything, the whole ship will be scuttled if I, if yeah. I go in, and open that up. And eventually it seemed like I have to open it up because mm-hmm. that's what I'm here to do. I'm not here to be a politician. I'm not. Yeah, you mentioned be. you had wanted to be what a politician or an actor or something. Yeah, a yeah, a stand-up yeah, yeah, comedian? yeah, yeah. Actually, that yes, both of those things. And uh, I wanted to be a, a musician and a stand-up comic uh, and a politician. Yeah, yeah. I mean, first it was a politician. Then when I had the spiritual thing, I, I tried to kind of find middle ground between politician and crazy monk. And I thought, well, I think an artist sounds like middle ground. You yeah. know, I have that in me too. So I'll, I, I'll go. I'll huh. try to be a an actor. And I, I also had this desire as a child. I, I when we do career day, and they force that upon kids far too early. Yeah. But I, we I'd do the career day and think I, I would just go inside and be like, the only answer that was true was I just want to be everything. <laughs> yeah. You know, I want to be everything. And it's like, how do you do that? And I, I thought like there were two paths, and one was be an actor, which was kind of sorta. Yeah, because you could be all kinds of things. That's right. And one was be enlightened. And I, and so I thought like, well, I don't think enlightenment's in the cards for me. So I'm gonna I'm gonna try to do the actor. That'll that'll yeah. That'll. But you knew about enlightenment. I did. At I that did. Age. I That's did. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. Well, I loved I loved the Time Life books and and the show In Search of and, yeah. and the the internet started to happen and and all of the. All, all that sort of stuff, and I would, as a little kid, I would open books on um, on yogis and mm. uh, Buddhist monks meditating in the snow, and there was something deeply, you know, arresting about that. I was just, whoa, could I do that? Even though I'm from <laughs> Wisconsin, you know, like well, you get snow in Wisconsin, we do get snow. So I, you know, I would try my best. Okay, so you were on this precipice of whether to jump into meditation big time or whether to try to be a, a real person in the world. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Although I think you can do both, as you've yes, now I, discovered. You yeah. But um, wh- how did you ma- what helped you make that decision? And, then, and I, I guess you went in the meditation direction. So <laughs> um, how, did, how did that go after all when you got into it? Well, I, I think I was, I was sent some wonderful helpers and guides and, mm-hmm. and, and mentors along the way in, in Little town called Lake Geneva, Wisconsin. Only I've been there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've swum in the lake and water skied on it and stuff. You know it. You know yeah. it. Then yeah, a beautiful little place, mm-hmm. um, but small. You know, maybe yeah. five, six thousand people when I was 
living there. I think I even gave a TM lecture there one time. You did? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so it was for a small town, um, you know, at the time I was quite astounded by all these interesting people who kind of moved in. And mm -hmm. one day I was, must have been the summer before my freshman year of high school, I was going around with my big sister who was kind of, uh, I was always close to her and I would just go wherever she would go, you know, mm -hmm. kind of as, as a tag along, happy tag along. And, and we walked into a metaphysical bookstore, and I had, mm. you know, not, not much inclination in, in that direction. And, um, you know, I was like, okay, I'll come. I'll go, I'll go everywhere else. And she, she was shopping for something in the front, and I sort of gravitated to, toward the back and picked up a book. And that was on, on the, this whole subject of, of mysticism and meditative experiences. And it was so similar to what I had experienced uh, in the accident and afterward that I, I stayed in that bookshop for about... Uh, two years, I would say. I think mm. I had a tacit agreement. Did your sister want to go home? Oh, no, yeah, yeah. yeah. She, uh, she stayed, oh, too. Oh, I see. Uh, you were, yeah, okay. It was, it was <laughs> payback just... for kind of all the places that I didn't want to go before, so, so I, I think she got the worst end of the deal there because that was a major inconvenience for her uh, two years in a row. Yeah, I know, sleeping in the aisles. Especially oh. the, um, the, the bargaining with the police uh, and you know, the eviction you know, uh, notices from the owner. But, yeah. But, yeah, over a period of two years, I was there quite frequently, reading all the books and as long as I it seemed to be as long as I bought an amulet about every two months mm -hmm. the owner was really cool put with up me with you. put yeah. up with me as long as I and, and I, I bef but I, I set this up because it was there that I met some of those guides and mentors mm. and, and one was uh, a lovely I don't know if I should mention people's names because I don't embarrass the living but a, a, a wonderful friend to me who was a, a TM teacher named Pam and she, had, she was in my town and she was working as a TM teacher but also as kind of a local clairvoyant and mm -hmm. it was you know just she's a very human person you know and, and but there was something about her you know she had this resonance about her which reminded me of what I was tuning into before and I was you know I was just glued yeah. and totally interested to find out what was going on over here and, and so she was, you know, she, she was a wonderful listener and, and wonderful at asking these, the, the perfect questions of me and kind of guiding me into different facets of my experience and yeah. sort of telling me, like, that's, that's perfectly normal. You know, that's something that, that's natural to human beings and, and is there. And it was mainly just the resonance. We'd that's talk great. about anything. And Did she try to foist TM on you? No, or was not she real easygoing? That's She's nice. totally easygoing. Because yeah, sometimes... Well, in any group, people can be proselytizers. You know? No, so yeah. It's nice that she had the wisdom to, yeah. to be gentle she was, like she that. was just my friend, and she was yeah. also there. She was, you know, I mean, I think a lot of people kind of became surrogate family to me when they mm -hmm. heard my situation. They kind of wanted to, you know, help me out and, yeah. you know, pat me on the shoulder and, you know, try to keep me on a good track, or a bad track, excuse me. So we were close, and then she introduced me to another friend who was a, quote, walk-in, mm -hmm. <laughs> And he had the same sort of resonance to him, you know, just yeah. a different flavor. But I could tell this is something quite similar about this fellow. His name was Austin, and hmm. and we we spent um, two years as friends. And he was, you know, fifty four. I was sixteen, and yeah. you know, we just hung out like we were the same age. And huh. and uh, incidentally, walk in in case anybody doesn't know is when a soul leaves a body and another soul comes in and takes takes that body and yeah. um, sometimes it supposedly happens when you have a near death experience or something and your soul checks out and another soul says well this 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 body yeah. can, has a bit more mileage in it I'll come in here and serve right. purpose in fact there was a cool story where Shankara became a walk in oh that's right yeah, I know that have one heard that yes, story? yes I've heard that story yeah, yeah. It's, uh, should we tell it or I, I don't know just as a tangent um, so Shankara was this great sage the founder of Advaita Vedanta right 
And he used to go around the country debating people and um, defeating them in debate generally, and then they would become his disciples. So there was this woman who was, <clears throat> I guess, an expert in, you know, amorous arts, Kama Sutra or whatever, I don't yeah. know. <laughs> and um, Shankar was like, yeah, well, I can't, can't beat her in a debate. I don't know anything about that. I'm a monk. Um, but then an opportunity came up where he could live that sort of life a little yeah. bit. So there was some king who died, and Shankara walked into his body, became the king, but it was really Shankara. And so all of a sudden the king wakes up from his deathbed, and whoa, he's really bright and much more intelligent and everything <laughs> than, than he had been. So I guess the king had several queens, and they were like, Mm, this this is great. He's a big improvement, and, and he, he seems a little to have forgotten a few things about you know what to do in the bedroom. But hey, you know we'll, we can work that out. So, <laughs> anyway, so this went on for a while, and eventually the queens found out they they got hip to what had happened, and that this isn't really our husband. This is this other guy, this monk, and he's his body is hidden someplace in a cave. So they sent emissaries to find the body and destroy it, so Shankar couldn't leave because they wanted him to stay and be. In, in the king's body. So as this was about to happen, uh, Shankar's disciples realized that Shankar was kind of losing it in terms of his remembrance of who he really was. And so that some of them came to the, the king's court and asked to read some poetry to the king. And so they read some poetry which had actually been written by Shankar about the nature of the self and so on. And so Shankar kind of woke up and remembered, oh yeah, me, that, I wrote that. And it's time for me to split. <laughs> so he kind of <laughs> left the body, the king's body dropped, and he reoccupied his own body, which was sitting in some cave, just as the, 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 king, the emissaries from the kingdom were about to burn it or something. And he kind of hopped up and came back to life and they lived happily ever after. End of the story. <laughs> yeah, <that's right. laughs> anyway, fun story. <laughs> I, so. I, I could I could almost believe my friend's account because it was a small town and yeah. you know everybody knows everybody's dirty laundry basically mm -hmm. if you it doesn't take long to find it out. And he had been like a notorious town asshole mm -hmm. most of his life. And then when after he, he apparently was running at the hospital doing a stress test and mm -hmm. of all places and had a heart attack right there and died and put on the table and then he he says I came in the other guy went out I came in on the table freaked people out when I kinda sat up and then you know it wasn't long after that he was you know deeply into Native American ritual um, spirituality and all huh. this sort of stuff and that was in a big uh, part of our relationship it was mainly just the presence that came off of him yeah. and the uh, you know some the, the fun things that would happen there I would just go to his house and I would go and actually take naps for 20 minutes on his couch because mm -hmm. his house had this electric presence you could cut with a knife. Wow. And I would just go in there. He'd be working in his car in the garage and say, hey, Austin, I'm going to take a nap. And he mm -hmm. didn't mind me using his house in such a way. And yeah. I would go down and I'd come up completely refreshed. Nice. And then I would just leave the house and, and uh, you know, go swimming or something. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and so that, you know, I was kind of sent a lot of, even more of these people, but I don't know if I can get into everybody, but... Sure. Uh, more well, whatever you feel is relevant. We have plenty of time, yeah, so whatever yeah. you want to talk about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was there was the the um, um, for a, a very white Wisconsin town, um, a wonderful man who is African American Qigong master, hmm. and also named Walter Matthew Brown. He's he since de, um, died a few years back, but he, he kind of took me under his wing as well. And, yeah. And I would go to his classes, and he didn't want to charge me, and he. He would uh, teach me these interesting sort of Chinese style meditations, and mm -hmm. and he would, uh, and and I th I always thought, well, maybe this is the placebo thing happening, but he would yeah. create these big balls of chi, and I would be palpably affected uh, mm. by what he was doing, and 
And so there were, there were these people that were, that were in there as I was a, growing up still as a teenager and kind of just at this precipice. And, now, one of, when I was recounting your various skills and accomplishments, I neglected to mention that you actually speak a fair degree of Chinese. Well, yeah, it's quite rusty now, but yeah. But yeah, uh, yeah where, did, how did you learn that? Oh, that was late, much later on. Okay. That was, yeah, that was. Do you speak Japanese also? No, no, no. Because no, I know your wife is in Japan. Yeah, yeah. My, my wife, hmm. she, she's, the, the, she's the real polyglot. She, yeah, okay. She's got all that stuff yeah. down. You're the polymath, she's the polyglot. <laughs> okay, so at this stage, did you start meditating in some fashion? I did, I did. I started doing, you know, I was taught some breathing meditations and, and you know, basic kind of yeah. effortless breathing meditation. Then, mm-hmm. I, then I learned some maybe more rigid, ascetic-type practices, which I, my brain was quite tuned into that channel, mm-hmm. you know, biased in that direction. And so I, I did these count from 1 to 10 and not let your mind go on anything else but the numbers. Yeah. And I actually became quite good at that uh-huh. and, and enjoyed it. But while it kind of gave my mind a sort of razor-sharp concentration, it mm-hmm. kind of was... I think stressing me out in, yeah. in, in other ways. It was like an athletic it's a bit activity. Of a strain. Yeah, it was. It was quite a strain, and and so I, you know, I was like recommended by some books like Medi- if you want enlightenment, which I was, you know, really did like yeah. meditate as much as possible. I was like, oh, I got to do this two hundred percent, you know. And so <laughs> that was how I was wired. I was very yeah. you know, intense. It had to be natural all or nothing. Natural born fanatic. A natural born fanatic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, relate. I, instead of like, you know, I knew the line to the intensely vehement soon, but I think I was often vehemently intense, you know. And so that's a line from Patanjali, by the that, way. That's right. Vehement Patanjali. intensity. Yeah, <laughs> I was definitely vehemently intense, a little bit too much. But you know, this book had me. Various books, I would be waking up at three in the morning and taking a cold shower and mm-hmm. then doing yoga and then meditating for two or three hours before either being driven or walking off to school um, in my last my last year of high school and then I would spend a lot of my lunch hours meditating mm-hmm. and then I would get home and I would do two hours of meditation when I got home mm-hmm. or, or one hour and then do an hour before I went to bed yeah. and, and so I had this schedule and I was like fanatically devoted to it uh-huh. and, and I became totally antisocial uh-huh. and I got, got rid of my possessions I was like I don't need these around you know, mm. you know and I, I, wanted, I wanted to live in mm. like I, I, I would often as a child have this sort of and it kind of came back these visions of my room turning into what looked like a room in an ashram, you know, mm-hmm. would, even visually the, the walls would fade away and I would see a completely different room and I'd look out a window and there were these wow. Himalayan peaks. Cool. And I was so, in this period, I was so, it was that, that song was really singing to me is how I could describe yeah. it. And I, apparently at the high school, I found out later that since I was giving away my, a lot of my most precious possessions and, and becoming antisocial, they put me on suicide watch, uh-huh. and, I, and I had no. <laughs> I thought you were getting ready to check out. <laughs> I was getting ready to check out. Yeah. You know, everybody meant very well. I was fasting a lot too, and mm. I was, you know, it said fasting is good for you. I said, like, oh, if fasting is good, then I'm going to do it. There's I'm so gonna... many similarities between you and me. I've gone through such fanatical phases, including radical fasting, and, <laughs> and always like any little instruction that was given, doing it like ten times more yeah, than, yeah, yeah. than I, was, I was supposed to. <laughs> yeah, I was told like drink a gallon a day. I said like I will drink two gallons. Right, exactly. No, that's, that's what Very I would do. Very similar mindset. Yeah, yeah. When I was fasting, I was like, I should not stop my running program. I should double it. Oof, and oof. and I was, I, I was, and when it was too easy, I was like, this is too easy. I need to put rocks in a backpack and run up the highest hill in town. And oh, I did it. Oh man, you're you're worse than me. I was a nut. I was a total nut. <laughs> Way worse. But uh, even though I was a nut, and I don't recommend this, I don't necessarily recommend this. Uh-huh. Um, I, I think it was good for me because it was in me. It was in me to do it. Yeah. And I really felt like I need to. 
maybe burn it off or I need to express this. I need to uh-huh. really do this to really kind of, you know, appease whatever is yeah. going on, whatever <laughs> need. And so I did it. You probably had some ascetic practices in past lifetimes in, uh, in, in those Himalayan yeah, mountains, you know, yeah. bathing in cold streams and sitting in the snow and all that yeah, jazz. Yeah. yeah, I would go out at, at lunch hour in Wisconsin mm-hmm. and... Sometimes I would go out into the middle of sort of like the soccer field that was mm-hmm. right outside the lunchroom. It'd be covered in snow and be like, I'm going to sit in the snow and uh-huh. meditate. And, you know, just... Did people see you? I mean, the yeah. school, school authorities would say, uh-oh, we really got to watch this I, guy. I think that probably contributed to the suicide <laughs> watch. You know, I was a good student, especially that year. I was, yeah, it was a, good grades and stuff. It was right? amazing. I always had good grades, but they kind of fell off a little bit. They weren't like total straight A. so much. Well, they fell off in high school before the meditation because yeah. I was sad and depressed. I, you know, on the fence and... You know, like, I, I, w- I was once before the car accident, I was totally lined up with a plan. And now after, yeah. I was like, what's the plan now? And I was mm-hmm. really flailing a little bit. And when I was meditating, you know, I was, I was thinking, like, I could just very well fail this year if I do six hours of meditation every day. Uh-huh. You know, like, because, you know, I've, I've signed up for AP courses and all of these sorts of things. Yeah. And it's a pretty busy schedule. You know, I, I kind of said, like praying to whomever might be listening if there were any spirit guides or god or babaji or whomever like anything you can do to help you know you know i'm doing this because i I think this is the the purpose of life and you know any help that can come along the way that makes this easier would be great but there were no problems at all academically i would um read uh read it like my psychology textbook and i and suddenly i could really speed read very well Mm -hmm. and there would be some sort of grokking that would happen this global grokking of the pages Mm -hmm. and when I would sit down to take a test I didn't necessarily have all of the information uh, in a a folder in my mind but when I would look at the answers the multiple choice questions I would see the page that the answer was on I would see the number I would see see it all in my mind page 323 paragraph 2 that kind of thing yeah I I think I did most of the extra credit I think I finished the year with um, 126% in that class And, and and the similar things in in an in English class. I uh, a teacher. All of these t- teachers I had then were were wonderful, yeah. wonderful mentors as well. It was, um, you know, I don't think they put me on suicide watch, but if they did, they meant well. But they they were there for me spiritually as well. Yeah. And so I, I had a, a, an English course, and I remember. I had a five-page essay to turn in, and I hadn't done it yet because I was meditating. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I was, I, was, I was meditating. I was like, okay, you better help me out. And, and so 30 minutes, uh, an hour or 30 minutes before the class, I sat down at the computer and said, like, okay. And then all of a sudden, you know, kind of like in, like in Bruce Almighty when he's typing oh, yeah. all those emails. And it just, uh-huh. there was so much coherency in my mind. I mean, it was so clear. Yeah. It, was, it was just so effortless. And then it came out. Turned it in, and and it was a good paper. Apparently, that's, that's great. So I was, you know, stuff like that. Amazing. You know, kind of came into the life. So, like an obvious question to ask would be, did all that meditation make you spacey? Because it can. I mean, meditating that much, you can't really function in activity. But it seems like you sort of plunged into activity when you weren't meditating with such intensity, with rocks in your backpack and, and all this other stuff. Oh. That it kind of counterbalanced the long meditations and, and grounded you, focused you. That helped, yeah. I, I mean, I, I certainly could be spacey, also because I, um, I was attempting to be... And you were fasting. I, yeah, and the rest of the time I was thinking, like, maybe I could be a breatharian. You know, oh, like brother. I, I, I was, uh, you know, proper Wisconsin, sought, you know, bratwurst meat eater at the start, and I thought, 
you know, for various reasons, I need to, I need to be vegetarian. Mm -hmm. And then I found out about veganism, I, I need mm -hmm. to be vegan. Right. And, and then I found out about fruitarianism, and I thought, I need to be a fruitarian. Then I, it kind of escalated. I've experimented with all those things, yeah. fruitarianism. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. It, I just, you know, I, I, wanted, I wanted to, whatever, here. whatever the apogee or the apex seemed yeah. to be, I was, I was kind of like wired to try to get myself in position to, to, yeah, it's to like, be there. Yeah, I mean, your basic attitude was, I'll do whatever it takes. Yeah. And and I'm yeah. gonna do it two hundred percent. Yeah. You know, because I am so hot to trot. I, yeah. Yeah, I'm just not gonna be wishy washy about this. That's right. There's a line of the Bible, you know, Christ said either be hot or cold. If you're lukewarm I'll spit you out of my mouth. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. Let thy night be single and thy body be filled with light. Yeah. You know, I felt like I'm gonna be you know, if I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do it. And seeing one's mother go through her life and pay attention to her struggles and, and the dynamics there to have an end at forty five also unexpectedly really put a, a pall of urgency over yeah. over my whole life yeah. and, I, and from that point and there was always a sense that you know I could be living on borrowed time here a yeah. very visceral sense and I was gather ye rosebuds while ye may times ten mm -hmm. and so that was always in the background pushing me and it was always like if if I could live you know what is the highest life I could manifest here mm -hmm. on earth and and then I will do whatever I can you know, of course, fall off the horse quite a few times. Yeah. Uh, but nonetheless, the long-range goal is to do whatever I can to sort of, sort of get there and to kind of connect with that. And I think there is something to be said for the sense of urgency. Ama always says, uh, live your life as though you're a bird on a branch that could break at any time. Yeah. And um, I, think in, I think when she says that, I get the implication she's saying, don't be attached. She's, she's not saying, like, you know, be a fanatic, but she's saying... Don't be attached because anything that you're attached to could be pulled out from under you at right. any time. Right. But then others, Shankara and others, have always talked about live each day as if it were your last and, and just take care of the highest first. Whatever yeah. the highest and most important, best thing you can do, do that. Yeah. Um, don't waste time because yeah. time is precious. Yeah. And life flashes by. Yeah. You know, it really does. Yeah. Not that you know, and we can take the long run, long view picture, and there will be other lives and all. But it's a precious opportunity, especially if you kind of realize what you're realizing here, and you know that there's this thing that can be achieved. It's a precious opportunity to actually achieve it to whatever extent you can. That's right. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And because if you don't, if you know it and then you just brush it off, you may not know it next time, and you right. might have who knows how many lifetimes where you're just sort of spinning your wheels. Right, and, and you know, you don't necessarily need the sense of urgency. I, I, I've known plenty of people who kind of, uh, you know, woke up and they rather weren't looking for it. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, everybody's different, but um, I, I do agree that in general there's a, there's a use and a value to having that appreciation that right now, you know, carpe diem, seize the moment, seize, seize the, the day. day. You know, Dead but, Poets Society. Don't leave. I, I always, my, my mind was always, don't leave anything on the table. You know, yeah. or you never know if this is going to be your last sort of interaction with any particular person. So if you if you if you have love in there, if you have songs of your soul in there, don't leave them unsung. You know, sing them yeah. and and get them out. And that yeah. that's certainly been a big theme of of, of my life. And it, it, again, just to sort of keep it balanced, it doesn't mean like do what the Buddha did is, you know, leave your wife and kids no. and, and go off and, and, you know, perform austerities or something. One can, within, the, within one's dharma, yes. we have a dharma. We do. And, and it doesn't mean abandon your dharma and just try to adopt the dharma of somebody else, which you can't perform anyway, right. probably. But within your dharma, you have 
wiggle room, you have leeway, and you can always be sort of pushing the envelope in terms yeah. of the best thing you can do, the highest thing you can do, the most evolutionary thing you can do within the realm of the possible in your right. life. Not in somebody else's life, but in your life. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and and you know, I I, I moved out of the ascetic phase um, very much, you know, which was interesting. Yeah, I can tell you're, yeah. you're a little pudgy now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I was I was also a thin non-ascetic too, so you know, this is extra credit probably here. Yeah, yeah. But uh, came out of that. Okay, so you were in high school. You're meditating six hours a day. Yeah. You're doing okay academically. Were you doing any sports on top of all that? Well, you said you were running up hills with rocks. And yeah, yeah, that, that, was, that was a sport. I didn't have much time. Uh, I didn't Not much have, time for sports. I, and actually, actually the, the whole car accident thing, in many ways, for, for a while, kind of knocked out my competitive drive. Yeah, yeah. And I was kind of, I just didn't have the juice to, to do it. I was so, you know, which was, to me, disappointing. I was like, hey, where is it? You know, so, yeah. uh, and instead I was like, okay, my, all my juice is in now trying to go back into this dimension, this inner dimension, and, uh-huh. and you know, however I could do that. So that, that kind of changed. But I, I, I did, I was in, uh, in our tra- traveling jazz band oh, in cool. high school. Oh, cool. Oh, that's right, that you were a drummer. Yeah, yeah, yeah that, that, uh, that was great fun, and that, that kind of gave me a good, like, physical um, coordinating yeah, activity yeah. to kind of... Yep. I think balance out a Drumming lot. Drumming was very integrating. Yes. You know, when you're really, you've been playing for an hour or something and you're really into it, the mind gets into this coherent. Right. Yeah. Did you ever see Zakir Hussain play the tablas? Uh, I don't think so. World's best tabla player. But you watch him play and it's just such lightning fast stuff and you know that none of it's random. He's like working within time signatures and beat signatures that have to be done a certain way. But it's like going at the speed of light and you think, wow, the level of coherence in his brain to be able to do that yeah, is unbelievable. Anyway, we're going, we're going off on little mini tangents here, but that's okay. <laughs> Lots of tangents. Okay, so what's the next major phase? We're getting serious here. We've got our shirts yeah. off. Uh, coats. <laughs> Roll the sleeves up now, yeah. too. Going to work. <laughs> so what was the next phase for you after this whole high school phase? Well, and, uh, I mean, this obviously didn't go on forever. No, no. Yeah. Well, you know, for all its merits, the, my, my crazy aesthetic path had some... It wasn't totally fulfilling, you uh-huh. know, and, and I think there were... I, I was given um, the book Autobiography of a Yogi. Mm-hmm. I believe it was my, my future brother-in-law who gave it to me, uh-huh. uh, if I remember correctly. And when I, when I read that book, that... That's that, a biggie for a lot of people. Yes, yeah. Dams broke yeah. You know, in my heart and, and worlds opened. Mm-hmm. And there was a sense that, there were, that I had been quite provincial in, in what I thought was were all the paths out there and all the practices and, and the, just the world. Provincial was, meaning kind of narrow-minded? Kind of narrow-minded, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, okay. I, was just, I was fairly fairly myopic after I, I realized I was quite myopic after reading that book, and it yeah. opened things up for me. And I, some, even without any proper kriya instruction, somehow the the tenor and the timbre of my meditations changed, and mm-hmm. there was this blissfulness that would that would sh- was showing up. Yeah, and and there was this um, the mind would 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 get quiet after a while, mm-hmm. and and but my heart would start to open, and and you know noticeably there was there was a, a sense of my heart opening into the silence as well, and and you know I, I would uh, Yogananda made this big promise in the book if you've read it he, he said uh, you know if you just pray to Babaji you know earnestly he'll right. answer you and of course uh, from my you, you would you would guess that I would say like I'm just going to pray to Babaji all the time you know? yeah, like, yeah okay that's what I did it's like <laughs> all right Yogananda I hope this promise is true and and I would do that at the end of my earnestly at the end of my meditations because I wanted to find my path and I was shopping around for monasteries I, it didn't matter if it was Zen or Carmelite or 
You wanted to join one. I, yes, my heart said, like, you've got to go be a monk somewhere. And mm -hmm. I knew that that was true. And, and so I, you know, just by happenstance, this, this um, same um, future brother-in-law now named Darshan, who gave me this book, knew this practice called the Ishaya's Ascension. Mm -hmm. And, you know, at first I was maybe a little bit skeptical of it, because, you know, it, you know the, of the name. Some of the you know, the name and the taglines were praise, gratitude, and love, and they are talking about stress release. So I was like, stress release? I can take more, you know? <laughs> you know, like, that's yeah. not interesting. And right. it, it didn't, it wasn't always an initially presented to me as enlightenment, which was the word that would have made yeah. sense to my little mind. Well, the reason that they mentioned stress release is that it was founded by a guy who was a t who had been a TM teacher, who yeah. was on my course when I became a TM teacher, and he picked up some of the nomenclature, kept some of the nomenclature, and actually also the mechanics yes. of the practice, as I understand yes. it. And there, too, in, even in the TM movement, there was a, um, a split personality disorder in terms of, are we a, a university or, or are we an ashram? Um, is this a spiritual thing, or is it a stress release type of thing yeah you know and you'd try to when you gave lectures you'd sort of try to present real practical things mm. you know stress release and better health and clear better behavior and you know stuff like that but then there was this sort of more esoteric teaching of yeah. all the higher states of consciousness that could be attained and so on so, but you don't hit people with that right off the bat yeah and i was one who wanted to get hit with that right off the yeah, bat. That was what yeah that was, what, that was what i was interested in yeah and and so um, you know, initially I wasn't going to do it. I liked, I lo loved having him meditate with with me because I could feel that he was yeah. tapping into this presence. Mm -hmm. One day I, I came home from, I founded the Lake Geneva Environmental Society, which just consisted of me picking up cigarette butts and garbage and putting it into a plastic bag, and Very cool. and I, I ruined our probably our hot dog tongs were ruined from any. Yeah, other use doing by doing that. So I you came just home. do that around town. Yeah, yeah, because I I, 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 didn't like. I, I thought I got to do something, you know, and I yeah. want to be out there showing, you know, yeah. like tangibly, sh you know, making an example. You and I have so much in common. I don't, I don't mean to keep talking about myself, but <laughs> even now, as I ride around town on a bicycle, if I see a, a can or even sometimes a cigarette pack or something, yeah. I'll just get off my bike, pick it up, put it in my yeah. little baskets, and yeah. keep riding. And yeah. I, you know, just because I. It's the kind of thing, if everybody did it, we'd have a real yeah. clean town, a real clean world. Everybody's not going to do it, but at least I'll do it. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that my, my record was um, 1,200 cigarette, cigarette butts. butts. I counted them. In a day? In a day. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I, was, I was astounded it got that high, but huh. I was just like, just around like maybe 10 city blocks crisscrossed. You know, that was wow. my area that day. And I uh -huh. uh, would go and... Uh, you know, uh, pick up cans from the stream, and one time it was like frozen over, and I was reaching out to get a can. And you fell in. I fell in. <laughs> I fell in. And, and you know, I actually felt quite good, but it was quite cold. Well, you were used to cold baths. Starting to numb out, so I, I stripped my clothes off down to my boxer shorts, and uh -huh. and uh, thankfully they were friendly with me at the local Starbucks. They yeah. had a fireplace. So let you warm up. Yeah, they let me hang my my clothes up in front of the the fireplace <laughs> and, and do my because I was already kind of crazy. Yeah. You know, yeah. So like, oh, let the let the crazy let the um, meditating. <laughs> environmentalist do his thing. So it was great. You know, they gave wow. me um, uh, a complimentary chai that day, uh -huh, I have nice. to say, to, to help yeah. me warm up. So thank you to uh, thank you Starbucks. Made that decision yeah, 18, um, 16 years ago. Yeah. So I, I came home from one of these um, forays, and he, he asked me, like, do you want to do you want to come to a course on Friday, mm -hmm. go up to Minneapolis and, and learn Ascension? And mm -hmm. He said, like, like, there's 300 extra dollars that kind of showed up in my bank account for it. Mm -hmm. and, and when he, I was, like, notorious for not doing anything but my schedule. I was really rigid. You mm -hmm. know, like, I felt, if you're an enemy of my schedule, you are an enemy of enlightenment. Right. You know, it's very harsh there. But I found myself totally, like, yeah. I surprised uh -huh. myself, like, what? <laughs> you know, it's like, yep, 
yeah, we're doing it. And so a few days later, we go off and do this course, and we go into the basement of a chiropractic office, and there's you know maybe 10 people up down there, and there's two teachers wearing a sort of monochromatic garb. And uh, right away, I was going like, oh, my God. <laughs> you know, like... Uh, what am I getting into? Uh, what am I getting into here? I'm skept- I was skeptical of the word workshop. It sounded like something for middle-aged people who yeah. wanted to like have some frivolous distraction and non-serious mm-hmm. activity. But I was open. I, w- I was kind of trying to go with the spirit of Gandhi, right. or the spirit of like an open-minded spiritual scientist. And mm-hmm. that was what I... What you know? What I had about me. It's like I'm just gonna. We're gonna be an empiricist, and we're just gonna do it exactly as they tell me, and see what happens. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, I was still quite skeptical. And and as the teachers were kind of explaining how to do the practice, once I saw the first technique, which I was like, what? that's gonna work. <laughs> uh, they were like, and it'll even work if you but if skeptical. you're completely skeptical. And they just both looked at me at the right. same moment. I was like, yeah, <laughs> good. You know, I said that. You know, as a teenager would at a meditation yeah. course. You know, a little yeah. irreverence. And um, it did. And I... I so first, worked meant what? Well, oh, yes. Um, well, I, it was, didn't take, for me, and this isn't for everybody, but for me, right. it was uh, within 30 seconds. I mean, at first I was, it's, it's an effortless practice, and it's kind of a mantra-based practice. So you, you think the technique, and then you allow your mind to do what it does. And when you're, like TM, when, then you come back to, to the technique. And m- most of the quality of my thoughts were, this is stupid, you know, or this ain't going to work. Right. And then all of a sudden I found, even while my mind was having those thoughts, that this vast silence just kind of over, overwhelmed me, overtook mm-hmm. me. I rose or I fell into it, and my body was completely relaxed. Mm. Uh, and it was not getting that much relaxation in all this ascetic stuff. It really wasn't. Right. And it was, oh, my God, what is going on with my leg, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, and that basically lasted more or less in that range through the rest of the weekend and it was incredible i i was i was really stunned and mm-hmm. and i i kept up with it and i think by the end of the weekend um you know i was i was asking them at the end of the course do you have a monastery that, <laughs> that you, i uh, could join that i could come and join i could be ready within 48 hours you know? <laughs> I, I just need to go home i've settled most of my affairs yeah. you know i've got my bag packed you yeah. know and, and and they were like whoa 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 you know like <laughs> and you know like uh no we actually it got sold you know and i was like oh shucks but but here's some numbers of people you could call we think they're doing something similar i was like okay thank you uh-huh. and they're like don't do it for 6 hours so i'm going to do it for 6 hours and they're like, you know, uh-huh. uh, and they're like, well, you, 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 it could be intense. And I said, like, I am the intensity, you know, something like that, or <laughs> something, something like that. I can handle it, you know. I am your father. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, um, I was, you know, really raring to go there. Yeah. And um, so I, I, but I was also a little, I'm going to give this, you know, like a few weeks and see, maybe I, I stumbled into some sort of anomalous kind of high, you know, maybe... Maybe we'll see if there's like what happens with the honeymoon if it's a honeymoon <coughs> period right. or and I wanted to kind of um, give it some time and it was just it didn't take many days after for me to know like oh my god no this is the path I had been praying for this yeah. this kind of has how to explain it this there was a sense my whole life in me that um, of a connection uh, almost like a a song or an energetic signature or something that was calling to me, you know, mm-hmm. impelling my life uh, that, that I had seen in visions as a child or had kind of felt under the surface. And when I ran into this, that was it. You know, yeah. there was a sense of that was it. And like there was a, before there was a sense of kind of being scattered. And, and, but now it was like, no, I, I think this is quite my North Star. So I'm going to um, give it a shot mm-hmm. and, and see what, mm-hmm. 
see what happens. And so, so you joined some monster type yeah, place? Yeah, it was, it was not long after. Um, it took me about, I think, three months from the time I learned um, to move out to Seattle with my sister and my brother-in-law and get a little apartment. And I was going to, my plan was I was going to work the summer in Seattle mm -hmm. and, you know, give it a little bit more time and then see if I, see if I could go down to this um, sort of um, ashram monastery type meditation center in, on the Oregon coast. And only my heart was saying like, no, just do it now. You know, like I would, I had the sense of what am I doing here? I'm just treading water. I'm just yeah. time wasting here. I, I just need to go. So I, I paid, uh, I paid them a two or three months rent, you know, because I wasn't planning on not being there. And I mm -hmm. came down to interview at this center in Oregon, with the idea in my mind, like, well, if they kick me out, I shall just camp in the forest and <laughs> show them my, you know, dedication. my dedication, because right. that's how I thought it worked, you know, right. in, the, in the books and movies. And uh, I didn't have to do that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that was right when I, right when I came there, it was kind of clear, you know, that, that, oh my God, you know, each person I, each face I'd meet was like, oh my God, I know you. Huh. You know, like this. It's like your little soul family. Yeah, yeah, it was powerful. Yeah. You know, it was, it's like. Could also have been that there was some dawning unity and you're seeing the self in all beings and so there's that familiarity. That, that could be the case as yeah. well. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I certainly had, a, an, I still had some, you know, n the neuroses that I developed. Uh, although I was told, I was always told like, I would tell people, oh, I've got to have a lot of stress. You know, like, I, I'm sure I have a lot of stress. And, and then people would laugh at me and say, like, you don't have any stress, uh -huh. uh, you know, or, or whatever. But, and uh, by that, you mean um, vasanas, like uh, accumulated impressions yeah, in the nervous yeah. system that's all from life experiences. And you're, you were saying you must have a lot of it stored there. Yeah, and others were saying you don't. Yeah, 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 okay. yeah. I was, I was convinced right. I had an awful lot of work to do. You know, right. I have to like I'm a mess. Roll, roll my sleeves up and, yeah. you know, really, you know, be earnest huh. about all this and... Yeah, yeah. So how long were you in this place, and how did it go? Well, it it went very well. They just just like with with TM, they they do these um, long, very long in residence retreat programs. Mm -hmm. um, for I wasn't quite really interested in being a meditation teacher at the time. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to get enlightened, you know. Yeah. I just, and so if I could be in a in a center for for many years, that sounded like a great time, and you know, chop wood and do all that sort of stuff. But mm -hmm. they suggested, well, you know, if that's your desire, you should do this long course. It's like okay. You know, we're yeah. dovetailing then. It was a teacher training course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and and I didn't really have the money to pay for it, uh -huh. um, but I they were so wonderful in in offering me kind of a work study uh, work, st work exchange yeah. program, which was really cool because mm. um, that that also matched a very interesting experience that happened the year before. I wasn't yet clear that I was going to go be a monk. I thought, oh, I'm going to go to some college and I'll just meditate as much as I can there, and that was the idea. So I was walking in the Walmart in Lake Geneva, and I was—I just had the intuition to ask myself, "I wonder where I'm going to be a year from now." And then, to my surprise, I had this full visual answer with captioning, and it was, "Well, you're going to be working in a mostly vegetarian cafe, living with a bunch of monks, many of whom wear the color white." And this and all came to you. This all came to me. It was very yeah. detailed. It was like yeah. you will start out as the dishwasher, and then you'll be progressively trained to do more and more of the jobs, and eventually um, um, study with a chef and be taught to cook like you've always wanted. Oh. And and I was like, you know, I saw that experience. And I was like, unlikely, and I just kind of threw it away. <laughs> just kept on with being a happy sort of um, seventeen-year-old. Right. And and then so when I was on the phone call with this group in Oregon. Um, the last thing that my interviewer mentioned was, oh, and by the way, we're about to open up a cafe. Maybe you could have a job there. Mm -hmm. And I was like, 
I didn't want to tell him because I thought maybe if I told him that I'd get kicked out, I, I ought to have. But yeah. kind of let that go. I was like, that's just a coincidence. That's yeah. what I was thinking. It's probably just a coincidence. I think you should know by now. Should have known by then. I that, should have. You know, because this kind of stuff has been, ha- has I been know, happening. I know, but you. I was still such a rationalist in so yeah, many yeah. ways, and I, I didn't want. To, I wanted to kind of, in some ways, I wanted to be able to engage with, with the credible world yeah. and, and kind of build bridges. Hmm. So I had to always be as scientific as I could. But yeah, I, I probably ought to have known. So I was doing my sort of um, apprenticeship program, my, my work-study thing, and I was at the kitchen window chopping one day, and when I looked up, as I've been, always been a very visual person, I see things before they happen, mm-hmm. it was the exact scene from that Walmart vision. And I was like, I see. what? It was like this deja vu thing. but I, I'm yeah. So strong, deja vu times 10. And, yeah. I was, and that, that there threw me into this presence. And I was right. in that for, especially thick for like two days, you know, yeah. just like, whoa, you know. And That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. So Yeah, I remember some line from Maharishi's commentary on the Gita where he talks about how the, the, fis- the, the, the future can cast its vision upon the, you know, pure of heart. You can actually have clear prognostications like that. Yeah, it seems to come with the important, the important nodal things, especially yeah. in my life, the, the big directional things. Well, it's like an opportunity to have a confirmation because yeah. you've had the vision, and then yep. sure enough, here it is. And okay, this must have been yep. where I was supposed to go. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I was, I was always, you know, kind of an amateur parapsychologist. So yeah. those sorts of confirmations that would blow my logical mind were especially interesting to me to, yeah. to have it so that I couldn't really describe it in any, explain it any other way. So you, you cooked, you were a chef there in this cafe, and I think you said you, there was a Mexican chef that was your mentor oh, or something? Oh, yes, yes. He, he named, named Yogananda. Uh, and does this mean you can cook really good Mexican food? Well, it means and that... And you to prove that to me? Well, okay. Um, <laughs> I think my education in some ways was a little uneven, but yeah. I will say that I make a wonderful chilaquiles. I can knock your so- the chilaquiles will knock your socks off. So okay. that's. I don't even that's know what those are, but we, oh, we may have to talk about that. Oh, it's what you do with leftover tortilla that. chips, and we're going to turn into a cooking show. But yeah, sautéed <laughs> onions and leftover tortilla <laughs> chips and some scrambled eggs. You cook them together, <laughs> and I like them with a the salsa verde. <laughs> They're good with a mole too. Maybe and we should have that for dinner tonight. Yeah, we, we can lunch them today it, or something. It's good, you know. It's it's kind of good peasant worker food, yeah. like so much of the best food. Well, I'm but, a peasant worker. Yeah, me too. Yeah. So, how long did you stay in that monastery, I was, I was and with, what, what'd you learn there? What'd you, yeah, how'd you I, change there? I changed immensely, and I was there for six and a half years, both in a center on the Oregon coast, but then we also had satellite meditation centers where you know, a lot of students had learned and wanted to have teachers there full-time to be more available. And so, in this restaurant, until we sold it, uh-huh. um, I, of course, I had that six-month-long in-residence teacher training program, which was wonderful. Mm-hmm. And, and that, the transformation that happened there is difficult to describe in words adequately. But yeah. I would, you know, I would come to some days, you know, I would go down to meditate, maybe after, after doing uh, yoga asanas and sun salutations, go back to the meditation room and, and be down for nine hours or something. Mm-hmm. And when I'd get up, you know, at six or whenever the dinner was, you would have just sat there without a break for nine hours. Sometimes, yeah. And sometimes get up and get up, go, go to the bathroom, bathroom and, yeah. you know, especially with two gallons of water a day. <laughs> yeah. oh, you're just, then I was told to stop that. It's like, yeah. you can, it's okay if you only do one. Is it, you sure? Like, yeah. Yes. Like, okay. All right, I'll only do one. It can actually be bad for you drinking too much water. But. So I've been told. I've done a lot of yeah. things that, that ought to be bad for yeah. me. I kind of survived and luck was on my side. So, yeah, the teacher training was incredibly transformative. And it also helped that 
that b- beforehand I had had very clear experiences through the meditation of you know what in TM you'd call the transcendent and what mm-hmm. my system you call the ascendant or the mm-hmm. presence, the unmanifest. Right. And so going into the the teacher training was just just exploring that and and sinking into it and deepening it. And some days I would wake up in the morning and have this feeling that I could only describe as it feels like you know two lifetimes have just vanished. I didn't know they were there, but they're gone. Like you, you worked know? through that much. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, some say that. Some say you can work through lifetimes of karma in a single meditation if it's deep enough. You'd see, I would feel so fundamentally lighter that those would be the words, you know, I would use to describe it. Yeah. Yeah, and, and you know, all sorts of those. I know the, some of the things you talk about on this show, a lot of those things sort of mm-hmm. kind of happened and transpired at beginning at that course. And, and then, you know, after that, I was, must have been four... Four more years after that teaching meditation and traveling around and living in the centers and going to places that I had, as a teenager with lots of wanderlust, I'd always wanted to go, but I, I gave up my big desire basket. I said, I just want this desire and right. you can have this. And then I found that, oh my God, uh, that's the thing I wanted to do. Like you know? Switzerland. For like, oh, yes, like Switzerland. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And, and so I I'd had an, a, a, a strange, sudden obsession. Well, maybe it's not strange because it's a beautiful place. It was Switzerland at age 16. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'd let that go. And then here I am, 20 years old, and I'm invited to go for a two-week teaching tour in, in Switzerland. And I didn't have a passport. And this was another little miracle. I had to get one real fast. I had to get one real fast. And I did all the things right. And I went to the Lincoln County courthouse uh-huh. to get the passport. And I was going to pay for it expedited. But then they told me, and I needed it the next day. I right. didn't know. Yeah. And they, they said, well, this, there's no way this is going to get to you the next day. Yeah. It's f- like 3 or 4 p.m. and Because and we have to send it to the Seattle Passport Agency. Ugh. They have to process it. They have to stamp it. Then they have to mail it to you at your cafe in Lincoln City. If you, if you expedite it here, the best we could do for you, we think, is three days. Yeah. And, and I was so, like, distraught. Yeah, I was, plane, fit, plane ticket or something. Right? Yeah, yeah, I had yeah. a plane ticket already. I did, I acted, yeah. and I'd begun an act as if, I, if it yeah. were so. And, and so, but I was upright. I was like, well, you know, if I, if I can't go, then I can't go, but I have faith that whatever needs to happen is going to happen. I thank them profusely. I say, thank you for whatever you can do. I appreciate it. I really hope it shows up tomorrow, nevertheless. And that's what happened. And I I still don't quite know how that happened. I don't know bureaucracies to normally work that fast. But it was 11 a.m. the next day in the cafe, and there were people there. But when I got this package with my name on it from the Seattle Passport Agency, uh, I definitely said, holy fuck, you know, <laughs> really loud. And then, you know, so joyous, so joyful. And the guy I was going with said, like, oh, shush, 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 ishtar, ishtar, no, 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 no. It's like, it's like, it's okay, I know you're joyful. And it's like, yeah, you know, this is great, you know. And so I'm going to Switzerland. And, and the, you know, when I got there, it was like a, another one of those weird um, nodal points of, Deja vu, destiny times ten, and and somehow it was just, com- you know, completely in a strange bliss by yeah. just being there and, and teaching meditation and being on Lake Lucerne and mm-hmm. all of that, all of that sort of stuff. It was just hitting me from so many different angles. And later, I got to go back again, um, two years later, and, and live there for about a month and a half, and and had a similar, similarly profound experience and was sent off to different places like Helsinki, Finland and oh. and um, Hong Kong and 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 Michigan. I yeah. loved being in Michigan and yeah. uh, and so that was um, um, kind of my own sort of Shangri-La experience for all those years getting to getting to do that and then, That's pretty neat. Yeah. 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 Tell that experience about when you were in Brunnen, oh, Switzerland and sure. you looked up at the cliff. 
Yes, right. I used to meditate up there on that in that facility up on the cliff and in Brunnen. And I may very well have been picking up on your wave. So, anyways, no, it, was, it was years uh, late earlier. Than earlier, earlier, yeah, you know, yeah. seventies. But might have been a battery up there. But <laughs> I was, um, I was sitting in this lovely lakeside cafe. Beautiful day on a little sort of a concrete jetty out into the water. My seat was oriented right toward this bluff over Lake Lucerne, mm-hmm. and suddenly I was tearing up, and I was with I can do it now, tears of joy, and my heart was was like a sun was shining through my whole being. And there was this deep sense of, of being home. Looking up at that bluff, and it was like, oh my God, I'm home. And I saw all this light coming off of the cliff. And I asked my host, like, what's up there? Is there anything going on up there? And they're, they're like, yo, yo, das ist no, that, that is the... Um, Do the Swiss accent. Yeah, yeah. yo, yo, yo. It sounds Swedish, but it's not. Yeah. Uh, that, you know, that is the old the Maharishi place. Uh-huh. You know, the, the Maharishi people, they call them TM people, the Maharishi yeah. people yeah. Uh, used to, you know, meditate and live up there. Uh-huh. Uh, that is a Silasburg. Yeah. And I was like, oh, you know, and that, and that was just, yeah. okay, all right. Incidentally, at the foot of that cliff, down by the lake, is a place called Rutli, which is supposedly where Switzerland yep. was founded and also supposedly where the apple was shot off of William yeah. Tell's head. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they, they, yeah. As the story goes. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> the, the, the foundation of Switzerland right there. Yeah, you know, it, it, uh, that's pretty cool. What year were you born? 1983, good year. I'm just, I wonder if you had been somebody in the TM movement who had died. Yeah, yeah, uh, maybe, maybe yes. I, I never felt that I had a, a 20th, 20th century, century life. I just yeah. never, you know, I felt like, oh, I'm here in the 20th century? Oh, yeah. Lord, okay. Hmm. Okay, so obviously then the monastery and the traveling and all that stuff, yeah. that phase came to an end somehow. That had to, yeah. Mm-hmm. I wasn't expecting it. I, I felt like I was having these experiences where I was more and more regularly feeling like I was in in everything. Yeah. I would look at myself through other people's eyes or I would, you know, like see people and I was as if I was looking at me and I felt as if I could be up till three in the morning writing these um, like newsletters and, and just felt like I was being powered by a bunch of juice, like something plugged into my back, and it was yeah. just going. And it was just so much joy living this life. I was uh-huh. so joyous to do that. And then all of a sudden, I, you know, I would take these midnight walks to chill out, and from my heart, I, would, I started getting this um, invitation to, like, you should get fired. You know, it's like, what? You should get yourself kicked out. Huh. Get yourself kicked out of the organization. I was like, oh. And it, and it was coming from the same place that I trusted my whole life. It had the same resonance of, you know, that's what you really ought to do. Interesting. But, but I wanted to fight it. Yeah. I was like, no, 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 you can't be serious. You know, it's like when you, you shake the egg ball, like, I'm going to do this again. Yeah. And it, it was pretty insistent, and I just kind of pushed that away because uh-huh. I, I really thought, like, I did feel a sense of safety yeah. being a tethered to an sure. organization yeah. with teachers who had more consciousness than yeah. me. I, I had a deep respect for lineage for the value of of like you know passing things down as purely as possible mm-hmm. and and all the things that sort of attend that i really you know appreciated that but at the same time this thing in my heart was saying like no get kicked out and yeah like, ah. and and so I, I i think i stayed about a year past my expiration date mm-hmm. i think that was it and it was funny because after i, I ignored that i was on such a sort of ex- expanded um track it just it just imploded you know or, yeah. or it just you know things you were got ignoring gummy, it because i was ignoring it because yeah. i was fighting it things got gummy mm-hmm. and and it and you know i thankfully years before i'd made a promise to myself that 
if I ever found myself as kind of a malcontent, if I ever, if this was, if this somehow was no longer my own Shangri-La, if I yeah. was not expanding, if I was not able to expand every day and, and kind of shed the stuff that might accumulate, then it was time for me to go. And I found myself in that place, and it was hard. But I was like, "Yep, hmm. I'm going to honor that promise. I don't want to do it because, man, life might really suck." I did it. It's yet another similarity between you and I, because I got kicked out of the TM movement, and it happened because. I was getting involved with AMA, and I was, I was just sort of doing things like sending out little emails and stuff about little AMA events in town, yeah. which I kind of knew in the back of my mind could get me kicked out of the TM movement. But it's like, if, if it happens, it happens. You know, maybe yeah. it should happen. I, I don't care. I'm just going to do this, and I'll still go to the dome and meditate if, if, if they want me to. But, and sure enough, they got wind of it and kicked me out. <laughs> but but these, these are almost like archetypical patterns yeah, or something. Yeah. You and I have both followed. There's, Life tracks. There's so yeah. many similarities that we've come up with so far. Same song structure, it, maybe different notes, different yeah. octaves. Yeah, different, huh. yeah. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. That's, <laughs> I mean, maybe they're just yeah. sort of reflective of human psychology and how it often plays out in groups and spiritual organizations and with seekers and stuff, you know, fanatical people and administrative types and all this yeah. different stuff. That I mean, it's funny, too, because, like, part of the reason as Vaughn, or as I learned to call him MSI, that's all I ever knew him as, right. um, you know, part of the, you know, in some ways, part of the genesis of my particular meditation teaching was often presented as moving away from sort of the rigidities or maybe the kind of um, um, some of the cultish aspects or facets of the over-controlling aspects of the TM world. Mm -hmm. And then I found that those, you know, kind of crept kind into, of that crept world into the well. ascension world. Yeah. And, and I would find myself, maybe, maybe they were totally unimportant arguments, but I found myself becoming so argumentative about stuff that I felt was groupthink or stuff that I felt, mm -hmm. you know, like this, this isn't the important stuff, you know, this isn't good, this is in the good direction. And, and I started to find myself in the minority there. Yeah. And, you know, maybe sometimes characterized as just saying that because you have stress or because, you know, you've got a... Um, yeah, you know, that same thing they used yeah, to say in the same shot You're side. unstressing, they would yeah. say. Yeah, you know, you're, you're it, off. If your behavior was not kind of yeah. kosher in some, yeah. or at least according to the group mentality, oh, you're just unstressing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and maybe some of that, that might have been true because I think I certainly was causing myself friction by ignoring yeah. the the, uh, the necessity probably to follow the Holy Spirit and, and leave. Yeah. But, um, you know, that was what had to happen. Huh. And, uh, and, and so I, I kind of... Yeah, well, you know, I mean, when the chick hatches, it doesn't, it's not really helpful for the chick or for the other eggs for him to stay in the incubator. Yeah. You know, it's time to get out of the yeah. incubator. He's just going to cause trouble there and, and, and kind of restrict his own growth. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there's times to be in groups and movements and this and right. that, and there's times to leave. That's right. And exactly. you, and a lot of people leave. With, they leave with sour grapes. You know, it's <laughs> like they just throw, they just reject the whole thing as having been a complete waste of time. But I think it, maybe sometimes it has been. But I think it's usually a more healthy attitude to say, well, I'm grateful, you know, yeah. for everything I learned in that, and now I'm on to my next phase. But those who are still in it, I wish them well and stay in as long as they yeah. want. They're, they're, they, it seems to be working for them. Great. Right, right. Yeah. Same. Yeah, I, I have, um, I'm, I'm in an interesting position internally where I have all this love and appreciation for so many of the people who were my mentors and yeah. who, were, who were kind of, I looked up to and, and were there for me as almost like a, you know, a surrogate family in many ways, a second spiritual family. 
and and at the same time, there's not really much contact. And some some of my best friends, uh, former best friends, yeah, maybe, yeah. I'm still I still consider myself friend, but from what I would see and what I hear in the emails and messages sent to me, maybe it's not, you know, mutual uh, all the time. But, yeah. You know, the, 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 the hand you're, is always open on this side. You're kind of a black sheep. A little bit, yeah, yeah. It seems to be the case. Yeah. Interesting. But, yeah, some people, that monastic experience was essential. Yeah. Perfect for me. It was definitely in my script. Good phase for and your life. Wonderful, yeah. It was, it was everything I wanted and so much more. And so many experiences that I thought... Conservative, I was going like, well, this could take three lifetimes, so you better start on it now, yeah. you know, and, and to get to certain experiences. And, and then, whoa, you know, is that what I had read about? And, and wow, I didn't think that it would happen. Well, what were some of the experiences? And, you know, we've been talking about the external circumstances right. a lot oh, now. That's right. and, I mean, what were some of the subjective stages of advancement? Well, I would say certainly having so much activity and working in that kitchen, it was a wonderful wonderful ground for experiencing the silence while being very dynamically Dynamic, engaged. Yeah. And, and so the witnessing, or what we call yeah. the witnessing, was very strong right. at points. And it, it's a good stabilization of yes. that, you know, to see if it can maintain and to, to learn how to maintain it right. in the midst of intense activity. Yes, it was a beautiful... Not that you're making an effort to maintain no, it. No, no, there was no effort. Maintained. There was no sense of like a weird dissociative type thing. No. It was just natural. And yeah. it would kind of sometimes sneak up on me. I'd be yeah. at the ticket window, and I'd be kind of considering when to put these eggs in and when to start this and doing yeah. all the gymnastics you have to do as a chef at lunch hour. Mm-hmm. But, at the, but then I would notice, whoa, you know, what is... Yeah. Uh, I've, in fact, been in silence this whole time. Right, and, and you're just kind of on automatic doing yeah, this. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then once I would appreciate that, then it would kind of deepen and become yeah. thick. Uh, and I would, as soon as I would go in one of those doors, I would start to be in the whole restaurant or feel into people and feel into the food and <laughs> and, you know, kind of be in that space and it was a wonderful beautiful dance especially as one of my best friends um, from Finland he was kind of my co-cook and he did the cold side and mm-hmm. I did the hot side and we I said let's make it a show kitchen and and we were really tuned into each other and and, and like it was a ballet he would frisbee tortillas to me and I catch him behind my back oh, okay, and, so. and I would flip things from the yeah. uh, from the saute pan onto the plate and just cool, so people were watching no, they couldn't see it. I just oh, wanted to okay. do it for our own I thought sake. it was more like that Seattle fish market oh, where no, they were no. throwing the fish. And it would have been nice <laughs> if we had an audience. I would have liked that. It would have been fun. But, but he was a wushu trained before, and so he was quite good with his body uh, like as, as a dancer. And so we, we just did it for fun because fun. there was a, we had a shared joy because we were both tuned into the silence together, and yeah. we knew it. And it was a wonderful kind of um, play to just, just for fun. Yeah. So that, that was one thing. Uh, um, um, I, I never sought out um, awareness during sleep because, I frankly, I'd never read about it. So mm-hmm. that took me by surprise. When it started happening. Yes. Yeah, that yeah. was, that was, I was like, actually, I didn't like it because many of the times I felt like I was stuck inside an inert log. Huh. And I remember I would, it felt as if my mind was asleep too, which, of course, later would produce the question, well, if you're aware and your mind's asleep. How do you know how, you're how aware? You know? Yeah, exactly. And, 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 but I would, remember, I was like, almost like knocking on my mind and my mind was going like, uh, like that. That's, that's the best I could describe it. Like yeah. the thought of nothing. And I would say, like, hey, you know, like, I'd like to move this body, you know, right. but it's like, and then I just would have to give up because, you know, nothing would happen and I would spend however long it was just kind of being in awareness. And, and yeah. I didn't like it. So I said, like, if anybody can just, like, not have that happen, that would be great. And so it kind of stopped. Yeah. And yeah, because I like sleeping a lot. Yeah. I've, I've talked to friends who, 
have had it start and then have wanted it to stop and it eventually did. I've talked to other friends like Harry Alto yeah. who, you know, says he hasn't slept in 60 years because uh, but his body has slept, yeah. but the inner awareness just doesn't get overshadowed or clouded yeah. by sleep. Yeah. Um, so I don't know, maybe it's optional or, or whatever. Maybe it depends on the individual's makeup, but it's a thing. Yes. And, and um, sometimes when people first start having it, they think there's something wrong with them. Yeah. You know, think they have insomnia or something. But it's just a matter of the inner awareness having been enlivened to the extent that the, the tamas, the yeah. dullness of sleep, can't overshadow it. Right, yeah. You know? and, it, and by definition, most people watching this are familiar with the notion that pure awareness is a continuum. It, it, it just is always there, whereas the cycles of waking, dreaming, and sleeping kind of go on. Yeah. And one can reach a stage at which one is aware of that continuum 24-7. Yeah, yeah. And then there, there were also fun experiences with what, at least in our little collective, maybe it was improperly named Ritambara Pragya, mm-hmm. or, or, or I might say manifesting things, but that's only a small yeah. facet of a greater sort of uh, context, so maybe I, not to use that word, but I'll just say crazy, weird manifestations. That's what I'll, right. I'll use. And, and so just Ritambara Pragya means that level of intellect which knows only truth. And it's said that if one can function on that level, then one, whatever one wishes to know, one will know um, with truthfulness and certainty. And also certain things can be accomplished if you can learn to function on that level. So right. proceed. Right. So one day, again, in this wonderful cafe that I had dreamed of, you know, as a mm-hmm. 17-year-old, uh, it proved again to be sort of the, the, the witness of a miracle. I was in the kitchen with the my buddy. The restaurant at the end of the universe. The re- exactly. That's how I've always thought of it. The restaurant <laughs> at the end of the universe. The, the, that's, Hitchhiker's that's, Guide to the Galaxy. Exactly. That, that was always in my mind. I'm at the Magical Mystery School, which owns the restaurant at the end of the universe. Yeah. But but um, I was just there. It was near closing. And suddenly it just <laughs> came came through me. I was I was in this we were in the silence pretty much all day. And then mm-hmm. it just emerged out of it right through my mouth. Like, like wouldn't it be cool if like 20 people... We never had a table that large. Mm-hmm. Well, I think we had an eight-person eight party once. Yeah. So, that, so it was like, that was way beyond any kind of like, yeah. reasonable expectations. Like, wouldn't it be cool if 20 people just walked in the cafe soon? And then I, I kept going. I was like, yes, in fact, we will, we, will, we, will, we will be so quick in the kitchen that we will get, get everything out within five minutes and we'll beat the drink orders. Uh-huh. And we'll have to take them out ourselves. And then <laughs> we kept going. And then, and then I stopped. And I, like, my, my, my coke was like, yeah, okay. And then I, then I heard um, a voice, uh, a phone ring outside. And then the, the voice of, of, of our, our colleague and uh, waitress and, 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 and bar person, she said, like, you better get ready because 20 people are about to come in five minutes. And I thought she heard me. I was like, yeah, very funny. Yeah. You know, like, she like played jokes. I was yeah. like, you could hear everything that was said in that kitchen. Like, very funny. Yeah, right. And then she came up. She's like, no. You know, I, I'm serious, you know, like, you really better get ready. It's like, oh, okay. Uh, and, and then I couldn't believe it. And yeah. so I still couldn't believe it. And then when 20 people streamed in the door, I was, something dropped. Huh. You know, that's what it felt like. It was like, Woof. you know, it's on. And, and it, I was, we were so in, in, in the silence that I don't know how we did it. I still, it was, everything went slow motion. Yeah. And, and I had, we had like four appetizers and 20 plates, hot and cold. And, you know, we were, it was just the most efficiently uh-huh. I've ever done anything in my life. Zen and, and the art of and cooking. cooking. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Zen and the art of short order cooking. Right. And we had to carry them out there. It was true because they were like at the bar and they're like, rah, rah, yeah. mixing the drinks. And when we took them out to the table, they were shocked. How fast it was. Yeah, they, it even, they got one accusation, a half mild like accusation. Of like, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. You, are you just giving us stuff that you, you already cooked? And, right, you yeah. and I was like, no. I, I, and it came out, I was like, no, we just made this right now. You know, it's yeah. a little. 
you know, a lot, <laughs> the, this, it was very a lot of intensity coming out, and they were like, whoa. And, cool. and they, they gave us a huge tip. Oh, uh, they cleaned their plates, and they were like, whoa, that was, that was the best you know, <laughs> uh, meal we've ever had. And then we cleared them out and cleared that. And then it, that. But then it happened again, like right after. I was like a same day. wild, same day, uh-huh. um, 10 minutes later after we cleared the table, 10 minutes on a, like on a gambler streak or something. Uh-huh. Wouldn't it be cool if 18 people came in? And it happened again. It happened again. 18. 18. We That's sat in amazing. the back there because it's the only place we could sit people. Yeah. Uh, parties of that size was in the back garden. Right. And then 18 came, except only then my prognostications were like, only this time, since we're almost out of prepared food, it's going to be a little bit more difficult. You're going to have to come in here and probably be chopping potatoes yeah. ad hoc, and, and we'll, we'll almost clean ourselves out of certain food uh-huh. items. And that's what happened. And yeah. we served them with the same sort of bliss, and then I was about to say it again. Uh-huh. And then they're like, we're closed. You know? <laughs> we're closed. It's like, okay, you're right. We, uh-huh. We're out of food. You know, we that's have to restock. So, watch out for what you wish for, huh? Yeah, well, it was wonderful. And I, I, I think a part of the reason I mention that now is that I had always wanted an experience of that magnitude, yeah. which I absolutely would have difficulty rationalizing in a, in a random universe. Yeah. I, I'd wanted something that big to kind of counter, um, you know, my mind's arguments, and I, I, it was given to me that day. There are a lot of stories in the Vedic literature about this kind of thing where some yogi will make a vow yeah. or say such and such is going to happen. And because, you know, that that written bar pragya, that level of intellect which knows only truth, because the yogi is so truthful and so in tune with, you know, absolute truth, that it has to happen because he said it had to happen. Yeah. And so it happens. And, like, there's a lot of cool stories about it. I mean, and sometimes it's like... You know, like the whole Srimad Bhagavatam was based on a story where this yogi was sitting in samadhi and um, he, and some king came along and wanted to talk to him or ask him a question or something and he, he ignored the king because he was in samadhi, didn't know the king was there. And so the, the king got really mad and picked up a dead snake with his stick or something and drooped it around the yogi's shoulders. So the yogi's son comes home and uh, sees this insult that has been done to his father and says, whoever did this is going to die of snake bite in a week. And then his father finally comes out of samadhi and takes the snake off, I guess, and, you know, and kind of comes to realize what his son has said. And it's like, oh, no, you said this? It's got to have to happen, you know, because, that, because of who you are and, and the, you know, the level from which you operate. And so the king gets wind of it and he realizes, oh, I, I was a jerk. I shouldn't have done that. And, well, I'm going to die in a week. How can I make good use of yeah. this week? And so he gets together, uh, who was it, Narada or somebody, uh, who ended up reciting the whole Srimad Bhagavatam. And the whole thing came out in a week, and it was, the king got enlightened, I guess, and then the snake came along and bit him. End of story. But, <laughs> but, <laughs> but it's the thing about, you know, if, if you're operating from that level, with yeah. that degree of truthfulness in your life and, uh, in, and in your consciousness, what you say has yeah. to come true. Yeah. 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 <laughs> 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 anyway, yeah. so okay, so you left there. Yeah, left there. Yeah, yeah. And um, I, I kind of gave myself a hard time after that. Truth mm-hmm. be told, I mean, I, I I didn't leave with like that many sour grapes. Yeah. But I did leave with some questions. You know, yeah. I was, I, I I certainly, even though I tried never to sort of put anybody up on a some sort of idealized pedestal of perfection, I saw the dangers in that. Nevertheless, you know, it was it was so easy to you want that and to really, you know, want. And you know to want this organization that so much of your young life has been part of to to kind of be 
perfect, and I didn't think it necessarily was. So yeah. when I left, I, I, I questioned. You're sort of disillusioned. Yeah, I, I questioned my own experience. Yeah. I, and, and, you know, I said, like, well, all these things, all these things I've experienced, are they just, you know, is there more, are they really real or important? Because I would also look at the world and see, like, well, I don't know. When, when I meet people, they don't seem to think, uh, you know, there's necessarily much going on there. So maybe it's not, you know, yeah. and, and maybe... Um, no, I, I started so young that I also, I didn't have that much contrast, mm -hmm. you know, a contrasting experiences to kind of that's make. A, yeah, that's an interesting point. Some of us manage to get, mess ourselves up and get ourselves pretty miserable. And so then we start on the spiritual path and the contrast is like, oh, such a relief. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I feel like I almost kind of like, even though I had some, some pain and, and things that were there, all in all, I kind of felt like I had a really good life and yeah. was gently, mainly gently moved into that dimension. And so I was like, well... You know, I, you know, sometimes I would be jealous a little bit, not jealous, but like a lot of my, my friends, fellow monks were like in their 50s or mm -hmm. 60s. They're like, well, I had a job in corporate America and a family, and let me tell you, you know. Yeah. And, and they, I thought I was really impressed, like, wow, they've, they've lived life, you know, yeah. they've, they've had something there and I haven't. Mm -hmm. You know, I've, I'm, I'm just, you know, what have, what, what, what have I been doing? Yeah. And, and so I thought, well, I'm going to see what it's like to try to be... Like, I want to be a normal person. Real person. You know, and, and, and I didn't really have many um, wild oats I really felt inclined to sow or needed to sow. But mm -hmm. I, uh, for me, the wild oat was, I'm going to go to university. You know, mm -hmm. like, I'm going to go to spend some time with my sister and then go to university and then get go... Get a degree of some kind. Get a degree of some kind. Not a bad and, idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And maybe I'll, maybe I'll go, you know, try to see if I can revive some of that old life. And, mm -hmm. and you know, and it turned out that it was ultimately... A good exercise in suffering, You're I think. at the university? Yeah, yeah. yeah or, or trying, I, I was trying to, the, the whole trying to sort of deny a lot of what I had experienced mm -hmm. for the purposes of the experiment, actually. Yeah. <laughs> you wanted to do the experiment purely. But it was painful. It was like trying to fit into a size 2 shoe after being in a size 10. What did you end up studying? I ended up with a degree in philosophy. So you earned it. I earned it. Yeah, that must have been rough. Here you are, deeply experienced. Yeah. And, you know, the things that a lot of these philosophies are just kind of groping if, to if understand that, yeah. and skimming around the surface with all kinds of complex theories. Yeah. Whereas you've already gone down to the depth of the lake and, and had, had the experience. So it must have been a little bit difficult to it, sit in classrooms with it, all these people discussing this stuff. Yeah, it made me, it did make me depressed. And you for couldn't the just say, hey dudes, I've experienced this. I know no, the no, that it, wouldn't go over. No, it's not going to do anything. Yeah, <laughs> you can't do anything. And I actually, at one point, I, I made this sort of like... Res and I'm kind of a talker. I, I like I'm yeah. gregarious. I like to talk with people. But mm -hmm. I sort of decided I'm not going to tell any anybody anything about me unless they solicit. Yeah. And I figured, well, someone's going to ask me. And I realized how uncurious people seem to be. Yeah. Like I was like I realized how I when I'm when I would talk with people, I love to get to know people. And I want to yeah. probe and question and see what they're about. I'm that I way too. Touch their essence. Start asking them questions right away. Yeah, yeah. You know? I want to I want to experience people at their essence mm -hmm. at the bottom of the lake where in that in that place of unity but I found I was so I was a little bit maybe naive because I found that wow you know nobody is nobody has time for anything but their own but everything that's going on in their head interesting and I was I was so I thought in university that maybe people would be curious and be yeah. joyful and be you know you know if not conscious be like wild and free enough to, to yeah. be fluid and 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 kind of exploring you know and have you ever noticed that there's a lot of people perhaps the majority who um, you know, you'll, you'll be having a conversation with them and um, you, you're interested, you're asking them questions, you're listening, you're really getting their story. And then you start saying something about yourself. And it's like, 
okay, well, I gotta go. I'll see you later. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. I, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. I, I'm so I, I, I'm not confused by that, but I, I certainly found it strange yeah. when I first encountered that you know, in people. Huh. Yeah, it's like they get off on talking about themselves. They're not really interested in anyone yeah. else. So I, I kind of wore a costume. I was I decided I'm going to wear a costume. Yeah, you know, I'm going to wear this costume of Thomas Ward Howell uh-huh. again and see you know see and it was. It was ill-fitting at the time. It could have probably yeah. been better fitting. What did you was. do? Two years of it or something? No, I did. I got a. I got five years. Wow! Because so I tried to do architecture at the start. Oh. that was a lifelong passion. Okay. And I was, then I realized I do not want to sleep under a drafting table and produce dreary cardboard models of ugly modernist yeah. structures because I, I had a different aesthetic than the. So you went into the. Um, yeah, you and I were in the airport yesterday. And I, was, I was. I was saying, imagine the amount of planning yeah. it takes to build a place like this. Yeah. Um, we're in the Phoenix airport. It's just mind-boggling. Every little wire has to be taken into account, and every little placement of every little thing. Yeah. So, anyway, we're, that's a tangent, but it's something I've often wondered about when I look at big buildings or bridges or or anything else. The the whole science of being able to do that. Look at a termite mound. Yeah, yeah. yeah so complex, and they're just doing it. Or Beaver Dam. Kind of. Yeah. yeah. We're just doing it with with a with a different. Now with the termites, no one termite knows what's going on. In, in its entirety, but somehow they work as a collective. Like as a network, yeah. gets built. Yeah, that's that's an interesting, wonderful, thing. incredible structures. And that's also true of man-made attempts. I mean, they say no one knows how we got to the moon because it was too much information for any one person to figure out. But through the collaboration in the proper way of all these people, we got there. Yeah, according to most people, <laughs> we, were, <laughs> we were talking about how certain people. Don't I agree. Think it was staged in Hollywood. But, but anyway, okay, so you did this five years of academics. Yeah, yeah, and then... And then got out of there. Yeah, I was just cooking with the suffering near the end, and I got to the point where I started waking up and at night not being able to breathe. Uh-huh. And, and so, so stifled by the whole experience. Something, yeah, and, and, and so I went to the doctors. I was like, i got to be sick and dying, right, doc? You know, mm-hmm. like, do I have cancer? Uh-huh. You know, like, they're, they're checking me out. You, you do not have cancer. It's like, are you sure? <laughs> you know, like, we're pretty damn sure. You and had sleep apnea or something. Yeah, or I, I was getting, yeah, I was getting to the point where um, I would have panic attacks in the night, huh. and, and there were some points where I would kind of go into some of those NDE spaces I had before and I was hmm. kind of sort of familiar with them. I yeah. Actually, it's kind of like in that movie Gladiator I would see a door, like an etheric kind of door and I would start hmm. walking to it and leave my body and I'd be hmm. like, yeah, I can do this. And then I kind of had some sort of voice talk to me and say like, you know, you actually could. You could leave right now. You've accomplished a great deal and, and you, you could leave it at here and that'd be just hmm. fine. Or you could stay around and go on Buddha at the gas pump <laughs> yeah go on Buddha at the gas pumps um, six years from now uh, yeah, not on the horizon you know but but or you could stay around and you, you, you know you're going to have to dust off the old armor was that made sense to my brain you know yeah. get out get back on the horse and and kind of you know get back get back into your old um, your old shape and you know mm-hmm. let the whatever barnacles you've accumulated come off and live and be of service and I was like well let me think about that uh, yes I will I will do that I'm going to mm-hmm. And right when I made that choice, you know, I stopped. That stopped happening. Yeah. And That's interesting. And, you know, just as in NDEs, how very often some guides or something come to the yeah. people and tell them they have this choice. Right. I, I, I tend to believe that, that, that something like that happened to you, even though you weren't dying, but that no. some kind of guardian angel or spiritual guide or whatever these things are was sort of 
talking to you there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I was kind of out of my body, and like I said, it was like in that I don't know who seen Gladiator. He's he's always walking towards this door. I don't remember the movie. I, was that like with Russell Crowe? Yeah, that's yeah. Right. Russell Crowe. I, I remember seeing the movie, and uh, I think he got stabbed, but he, he still had to fight the fight, even though yeah, he'd yeah, been stabbed yeah. and, he, and he won. But throughout the film, he kept having visions of of the other side, where his family was on the other side, his dead family yeah. was on the other side of the gate, and he's longed to go there. Yeah, and so that was a great movie, and I like Russell Crowe, but I figured anyway. Yeah, anyways, <laughs> enough of Gladiator. How did I? I got that into a boot at the gas pump. Conversation <laughs> score, yeah. Um, but but yeah, when I made that choice, you know, it was like stuff started falling off, yeah. You know, and there was a center, and I just needed to finish at university, and and it must have been a week later I met my wife, ah. and the whole time in Portland I was thinking, what the hell am I doing here? Yeah. And when I got out of the monastery, I, I felt like, oh, I'd had all these things that I thought were going to take me three lifetimes. I've experienced all this. I'm sure a bus is just going to come and kill me soon. You know. So was, you went to university in Portland? In Portland, yeah, because yeah, that was the nearby town. That's where my sister lived, and I decided, oh, let's just get going as fast as I can. And and years later, I a week after I, I made my decision to sort of stay, I, I met my wife, and she just had, she had the, you know, I don't know how to describe it, the energetic signature of that forward path all mm -hmm. about her. It was so clear that, you know, as part of like coming back in here, you know, she's there. Cool. You know, and in so many ways, she helped me just by being herself shed these barnacles and yeah. uh, come back to life and come back to my path and coming back I felt like truth be told I I was able to come back in a much deeper sense than I than I had left off mainly because before I would often feel this sort of creeping sense of judgmental insularity the sense that 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 the teaching is the people outside the walls of the teaching yep. Even if you felt one, there was a sense, even a subtle, very subtle sense of like people were somehow less than and it was yeah. barbarian. And when I would feel that strongly... Ignorant, unwashed masses yeah, who yeah, don't yeah. get the, what we get. You know? Right, right. And when, I would, when that would come through my nervous system, yeah. I would feel myself like talk or act from that space. Yeah. I would, I would want to go and take a shower with Scotch Bright. You know what you mean? I've been through phases like that. Yeah. I, was, I saw this conversation with a couple of fundamentalist preachers recently um, because there's this big controversy because one of them is trying to raise $40 million for a new jet or something. <laughs> And they had this conversation with the two of them, and one of them saying, "Yeah, you got to have a jet, a Gulf Stream, such and such, because otherwise you have to fly commercial, and you, you know, you have to oh, sit in a yeah, big yeah. tin can yeah. with a bunch of demons." <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's like it, it, obviously he had gone far da farther down that rabbit hole, but I, I he, think so. His perspective was that anybody who's not a fundamentalist, such and such, and his ilk, yeah. was a demon. That's right. You know, yeah. all, and you, you start looking at people like that around mm -hmm. in society, and what a terrible way to see the world yeah yeah as opposed to seeing them all as your brothers and sisters and people that you can feel love for right <laughs> I, and i feel like maybe i had sort of screwed up enough yeah and, and been enough of an idiot uh -huh. that like it was it became it was just like there's a much a, a softness in my heart yeah a softness in my gut and i was like okay and that was it was gone something that had bothered me in my first tenure as a monk and then i was like okay that's great and, and so I I've gradually, I didn't know I was going to be meditation teaching again because I still had a lot of, regardless of any objections or whatever, I still had a lot of respect for doing things properly. And, mm -hmm. and you know, I wanted to make sure that I would teach from a very good place. But, uh, you know, as time wore on, it became gradually more apparent that that was going to be part of my life again and that, that I ought yeah. to be doing that. And I cool. started teaching uh you know, teaching folks for, for donation. I had to have some guinea pigs. Like, well, you know, you're going to be my guinea pig here. Are you cool with that? You know, because I might suck, you know. Yeah. And then they're like, oh, that was great. You should, you should go back to doing that mm -hmm. professionally again. So that's what you've been doing. You've been teaching meditation. Yeah, 
Yeah. And uh, he also are somewhat of a gifted astrologer. Yeah. yeah I haven't, yeah. haven't sampled your wares in that department <laughs> yet, but I've heard you talk about it a little bit. And I, as I gather it, we don't have the time to really go into justification of astrology right. oh, God. and how and it might work and whether or not it's valid and all that business. But um, you do it, and it, you sort of bring intuitive skills to it as yeah. well, so you're yeah. not just going by what a regular astrologer might right. do. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's quite different. Yeah. Huh. yeah. Neat. <laughs> and your wife is in Japan teaching English as That's a right. second language, mm -hmm. and two of you kind of go back and forth. And so we've kind of swung between subjective experiences you have had during your yeah, life yeah. to objective external events right. and things you did. So let's take another swing toward the subjective right. at this point. And, you know, like, what is your experience these days? Do you feel like you've attained some awakening or liberation <laughs> or anything else? Do you still have all that subtle perception stuff? Mm -hmm. Do you feel like you're still very much a work in progress in terms of the evolution of your subjective experience? And, you know, what's going on in that way? Of course, the, the latter thing, I think, is, has always been the case. Yeah. I would hate to ever think that there would be a, a sense of doneness or, right. or end because, you know, that, that, that's always ongoing, yeah. all the wonders that are out there to experience. Um, certainly, coming back um, afterward, it, it didn't take too long. There, there were some rough patches to get the newly encrusted barnacles kind of off and maybe some deeper stuff that I never really touched mm -hmm. in the beginning, a lot of stuff that was much more... Um, no more visceral, uh, more like heart level and gut level type stuff. More, you know, like I'd never quite relaxed enough uh, to to get that stuff out. And mm -hmm. so there, there was a process of having that clear out. And after that, there was a sense of just being able to relax more fundamentally into that sense of consciousness. Not only being this kind of witnessing place or this. Thing I could, you know, see kind of like I don't know behind me. That's right. how the words I would often use. But, yeah. but, but a sense of it being getting relaxed enough to like feel it pop up in uh, pop up in Rick Archer or in mm -hmm. the chair or in the yeah in the in the rocks. So it trees. kind of went from witnessing to unity more. I, yeah, I, I you know, and I, and I never kind of um, you know all taxonomies seem to be imperfect and and a little bit loose, and yeah. so I, I kind of they're just words and not very imprecise. Different, different, not very precise. But. Yeah, so I might say that that's a part of the ocean that I seem to be visiting much more frequently yeah. than than say um, twelve years ago or, or mm -hmm. fourteen years ago, or and so that seems to be a more consistent experience, and and actually along with that, almost at the same time came this sort of explosion of what it's often called celestial perception, or mm -hmm. some people call it the socket stuff. Was it different than the stuff you had when you were a kid when you were seeing spooks? Was it more of a, a more, but there's a difference between astral and celestial. Right, right. right. Maybe you can explain that difference and explain okay. the difference in your experience between the two. I would say there were a lot of similarities, but much more precise or exacting were the, the experiences that I've had in the last two years than mm -hmm. as compared to maybe the stuff I had as a seven-year-old or an eight-year-old mm -hmm. or a nine-year-old. There, um, there was much more of a I don't know how to, how to quite describe it. There, a golden, a kind of a golden light uh, underneath, underneath. More everything. subtle. More subtle. Yeah. And uh, there was almost often a sense of, and not, not everybody gets this or, or how I'll, I'll describe it, but a sense of almost being able to like investigate different stories of a great building. If, 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 yeah, if, yeah. if this universe had a lot of different strata. In my father's models. house, there are many mansions. That's right. That's right. right. And and kind of going to them naturally and mm -hmm. a sense of having my being sort of expand out and, and then every once in a while I'll start to notice like, hey, uh, what's this room I'm yeah. in? I haven't noted this one before, but uh -huh. here it is. And kind of, yeah. you know, looking around and there, there have been interesting experiences with 
going up the top of my head and being kind of like a golden door up there where people place the crown chakra mm -hmm. and going up this long channel mm -hmm. and, and there are beings up there and mm -hmm. they're, they're kind of golden beings and, and you know saying hi to them and when I look horizontally, this is getting really weird, I apologize, but well, when I look horizontally, there are kind of worlds. There are sure. like worlds that yeah. these different beings, different energetic mm -hmm. signatures that these different beings exist on. And so yeah. those, those things have been in some ways, spontaneous and mundane. That's that's been a. I would use the word mundane. They've been almost as normal as me having a memory, yeah, or thinking about this or that. And so that that has been an interesting feature. They have not slammed me and made me incapacitated or or anything like that. They've just been almost like uh, being um, ushered into or invited into exploring more and more of yeah. what's happening right here. It's interesting the way the way Marshy laid it out was get self-realization established as a foundation and then begin to develop the capacity to experience the full range of the relative gross, yeah. gross to subtle. And I remember him saying one time, he said, when you open up to that subtle perception, you discover that a world of beings yeah, is there. Yeah. You can say worlds of beings, worlds, perhaps. Yeah. And they're sort of right here, but just sort of in a different dimension from our gross world. Right. Right. It's not like you're going off to Alpha Centauri or something to, right. to tune into them. No, no. Um, there's just all these strata. It's almost like a, to take an example. I mean, this this goes in terms of big and small. But you know, you have your body, and it's meat on this level. And you go down to the molecular level, and it doesn't look so much like meat anymore. It's the, these little molecules. Even on the cellular level, it looks very different than this level. Then you go down to the DNA level or the molecular level, and and uh, then the atomic level. And each one of those worlds, as it were, on its own level, would be unrecognizable by any other worlds. It's so dissimilar. Mm -hmm. And yet those are the building blocks of this world. The whole subtle realms thing, I suppose, I mean, you can speak to it better than I, but I suppose you would find it, did, or do you find it, have you found it to be very different in certain respects than our conventional world? Or are there differences and similarities? Well, in some ways I, I might contextualize it differently it has kind of become part of my conventional world. It's true, yeah, good, or, well put. It's more like my... It's my like you've incorporated it. Yeah, yeah, it's more like my definition of conventional world has had yeah, to has sort expanded. of expand and accommodate yeah. this new mm -hmm. types of data, if you so will. So you're functioning in several worlds at once. Yes, I, I mean, often that's the case. Sometimes it'll be the case of like being a you know, classically physical sort of experience, uh -huh. you know, and digging, digging a hole in the garden. But just as equally, sometimes I'll find myself doing some very physical work, like working on a house or planting a garden. And then there's, good Lord, you know, like, you know, the plant is talking to me and I start to, well, sometimes phase into different time periods uh -huh. and, and my clothing will look different. And, and But it, it's never been too much to sort of distract me from being able to, you know, function and, and you know, appear as if I'm functioning in, in just the same manner as anybody else. Yeah. And so that's kind of been how it's gone. To take another example, perhaps, and this will just catch you unawares with this one, we're here in Sedona, Arizona, and Sedona is notorious for having all kinds of vortexes mm. and all kinds of woo-woo taken on, taking place. So have you have you noticed anything here in Sedona since we arrived that I probably haven't noticed? Well, believe me, I haven't noticed. I don't like to assume anything, but now you've taken no, care of my fear of assumption. But, yeah, uh, don't. I mean, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, um, you know, besides the, the certain sense of feeling that there, there are these columns around where probably people reckon there are vortexes. I don't know mm -hmm. where people reckon they are, but I mm -hmm. see things. There, there's a sense I've, I've seen large tracks of, of 
lines of gold that seem to carry energy and information hmm. kind of connecting these points and have a sense of subtle beings walking around in town who aren't discarnate spirits but seem to be of a different sort of like celestial uh, beings like, like celestials yeah. yeah a different sort of function in, in the universe and yeah. it seems to actually be quite a a city here, you know, a celestial city. Huh, interesting. Uh, so, uh, kind of like celestial city superimposed on a, a terrestrial city. Kind of a terrestrial city superimposed on. Yeah, that's yeah, good. Well, yeah, the other yeah, way around. Yeah, yeah, both. Yeah, I could say it either way. Yeah, yeah. yeah I had the same experience with Mount Shasta. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I actually, funnily enough, I visited both of these cities about 13 years after my last visit or so. Yeah. And so, coming back for the second round has been a much different experience as far as all that sort of mm -hmm. stuff goes. That's um, cool. But yeah, I can see why humans, human beings, want to put um, beautiful, you know, stone houses in in this environs because there's something something interesting in the sauce here. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, just as a as an aside here, but related to our point, all these all these records in the religious literature and all the artwork about angels and 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 you get it in Christianity, you get it in Buddhism, in Tibetan Buddhism especially, all these big fancy murals with all these beings with various appearances and all that stuff. It's not just um, folklore, you know, it's not just myth. Yeah. The people have these experiences and um, probably did their best to put them into some kind of graphic form, but it's kind of almost a, a record of humanity's familiarity with or acquaintance with these subtle realms. So if you kind of take it in that light and not just brush it off as some kind of artistic imagination gives you a deeper appreciation of these traditions and of life itself. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Okay, so um, anything else you want to say that I'm not thinking to get you to say? <laughs> yeah. Well, there, there are certainly more campfire stories, as it were, but in the files, but it, it seems like we've probably brought enough out right here. And so I suppose that if people want to get in touch with you and get involved with you or learn something from you, it seems to me there are two main things. That's right. Unless you want to go cook in a restaurant someplace, there, <laughs> there is the meditation instruction yeah, thing, right. which I imagine you'd be happy to travel around and do, oh, or do I you love, do it over Skype? I or love traveling around to do it. Yeah. And I've, I've never really done it over the internet. Mm -hmm. I, I've done it in a uh, that's another big no-no for my organization, right. but I've, I've done it in a couple, a few cases recently and found that people have had quite good experiences yeah. with it that way. I was skeptical. I imagine but, it might uh, be a little nicer, though, if people can get a group together and you could go and be with the group. I, and that's that's optimal. Really, I, I, yeah. 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 So there's that, and people could, well, I'll link to your websites, and they could get in touch with you and invite you to come here and there yeah, to do that. Yeah, yeah. And then there's the whole astrology thing. I yeah. guess you, you still like to do that professionally. Oh, I love doing that. Yeah. 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 And you have a website dedicated to I that, do. right? In yeah. which you describe how you do it a That's little right. bit more. You are saying this morning at breakfast like how much time you put in in preparation yeah, for yeah, yeah. an astrological reading. You want to just quickly buzz through that so people get a flavor? For sure, yeah. I mean, I really roll the sleeves up for it. So I'll, I'll do these in person or, or over Zoom or Skype or whatever video thing we use and do a 90-minute reading with, with the clients. And then, mm -hmm. I mean, usually as I get better, I probably my preparation time probably will shorten, but I like to put in at least have two to three hours uh -huh. available for my own preparation of the chart and looking into the person intuitively um, before the reading itself. Yeah. And and so, you know, that that's kind so, of... So, th you know... Three and a half to four and a half hours you're spending on each one. Yeah. And how much do you charge for that? Uh, 150 U.S. 
Hear that? That's a pretty good deal. <laughs> I hope so. I try to make it a good deal. I want to be, want to be accessible. Uh, yeah, you know, so it's just... like less than $50 an hour. It's, it's pretty reasonable. Yeah. And, yeah. and I, you were saying to me, and I, I appreciate this, that you just didn't want to have it be all about money. You intentionally charged less than the going rate for such things. Yeah. But not because you were trying to compete with other no, astrologers. Just because that's your, that's your mindset. Yeah, and if I become if I become so busy that I that I and and you know well known or something that I have to raise my prices, I'll try to do that as you know moderately as I can. And I always, whether it's been meditation or anything else, I always have sliding scale options. I always put that on my website. So like yeah. if you don't have two dimes to rub together, you know, I, I, I if you really want to do this, I really want to yeah. find a way to make that happen so that it mm -hmm. you know it works for you. Same with the meditation, and I, I think I charge a, a very reasonable rate for that, like three hundred dollars for I think. A weekend involved class, whole thing. very involved class, and yeah. and I also go out of my way to be available after as the class yeah. as follow up as as much as possible. And I typically never charge for that. Great. Okay, so I think that gives people a, a glimpse yeah. of the Ishtar Thomas phenomenon. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks, I really appreciate it. I'm glad you're able to be here with me in Sedona. We're going to go do some hiking over the next mm. couple of days and have a potluck dinner with some friends and a bunch of other stuff before we go flying off back to our yeah. respective cities. Yeah, this was great. Thank yeah. you, Rick. Yeah. Sure.